Good morning. Welcome. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to How to Learn Gospel, Blog Talk Radio. National Association of Black Defenders, Hubert Center, Race Dialogue. To one, in favor of the resolution, which requires the county to eliminate any policies that harbor racial discrimination. And while protests and chants of Black Lives Matter may not be echoing nightly through the streets anymore, work is still being done to build better relationships between local law enforcement and the community. Some of that work is happening in Yuba County through a group called Race Dialogues. Their goal, to find solutions to race-based division through compassionate conversations. Black Lives Matter! The chants, marches, rallies, and sights of fists in the air are no longer visible on a daily basis here in Northern California. But calls for racial justice continue in the form of discussions. Race Dialogues. A group of eight different people with four common goals. Create a learning community, deepen understanding of systematic racism and its effect on today's institutions, culture and beliefs, improve skills in countering racism and organizing for racial justice, and network in a way that strengthens and expands outreach, influence and effectiveness in overcoming systematic racism. I spoke with four members, Joyce Pope, founder of the Tri-County African American Alliance, Yesenia Kachu, student support specialist at Marysville Joint Unified School District, Nayati Melissa Cleveland, community activist, and Susan Allen, teacher and author. The group says race dialogues is paramount for individuals to heal and move forward. This is the time. This is the moment. We are here now, and we need to look this issue in the face, and we need to have those dialogues, and we need to grow from that experience because it, we all can agree that it is a really uncomfortable time. It is a real uncomfortable experience to reach out and have those kinds of communications. But we know as a group here that our community can do that. The emphasis that I want to bring out in this is building the bridges between communities, people, individuals. Um, we all have different backgrounds. We all work at different places and have lived in different areas. We have such an array of diverse backgrounds, even with me and Joyce having the same racial background on the outside, you know, we still have different upbringings, different experiences. So I think the race dialogue is not just good for cross races, but it's good for us in, inside our race too, to understand different points of view. My goal is to propagate an understanding of what's happening with systemic racism in our country. Taking a proactive approach, the group has already held successful roundtable discussions between local law enforcement and the community, helping bridge the gap. Cleveland says it's led to more positive engagement from police at community events. So we've had Juneteenth, things like that have been more publicized since then. The backpack giveaways that they've done for back to school, the police have helped the community in those giveaways more. So I do believe that it started bridging a gap. However, I believe that it only it was only a drop in the ocean. I believe that it knocked on the door, but unless we continue to do more of those, then it would have been for nothing. Race Dialogue says their discussions with police took place well before the death of George Floyd, who died while in custody of Minneapolis police. I can't breathe. 
Floyd's death sparked months of unrest across the country and put a renewed spotlight on law enforcement's use of excessive force, violence, and racism. Since the incident, Race Dialogue says they've been working to schedule another discussion with their local law enforcement agencies. The hope is to come to an understanding so that what happened in Minnesota doesn't happen in their community. I expect more growth in the future because they were receptive to us before and I expect the police department to continue to be receptive to our, our ideas because these are ideas that are supporting the community at large and I believe the community would appreciate that as well. Members of Race Dialogues have been hard at work these last few months. They've successfully implemented a four-credit workshop on the film 13th at Yuba College. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. A galvanizing documentary which refers to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which permits slavery as a punishment for crime. We're going to discuss each part and how it pertains to today, how it pertains back then, and how it connects. They plan to offer additional panel discussions with Yuba Sutter community leaders and law enforcement. They're also holding book discussion groups to enlighten the public on systematic racism. The goal is to pass along valuable information that will be sustained in the community for years to come. Race Dialogues does realize not everyone is open, ready, and willing to learn. But for those who are, this is a new day. None of us have been here before. We've never had the courage to talk about race face to face with all the individuals that it affects. It is not the black person's responsibility to teach our white comrades in regard to race and the pain it has caused us as a group of people in this country. But in order to heal, in order to go forward, I think all the players in the community have a place. We all have a place today at the table. As for what a positive path forward looks like. Getting rid of implicit biases. Understanding that we are more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. It looks like having a community where the police aren't policing the community but one with the community, that they're helping the kids cross the street and not chasing the kids across the street. We all know that can happen, but at least try. And we want to see that effort. And I, I'd look forward to Good morning, good morning, and welcome to House of Gospel Law Talk Radio, coming to you from 231 6th Avenue. I'm your host, Freddie Howard. Uh, we are on with the National Association of Black Barriers Defenders, Uber City Southern Race Dialogue Call-In Conference, Saturday, March 6th at 11 a.m. It is 11 a.m., and we have a bunch of callers on the line, and uh, we are going to uh, start with prayer. If Dr. McCorb is on the line, and then we will let the lead lady for the Uber City Race Dialogue out of California begin the broadcast. On behalf of all of us here at House Even Gospel Blog Talk Radio and the National Association of Black Defenders, welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. All right, somebody's calling Thank me you. on this cell phone from 561-301-4494. Let them know, call the radio station. Okay, uh, Dr. McCorb, is he on yet? I don't know. Okay, he's trying to call me on the phone that's hooked up to the radio, guys. 
Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, then we'll then we'll begin. Okay. Our Father and Savior Jesus Christ, the making creator of all things. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity that you have given us and Yuba City and their effort to ease the pain of racism, the sin of racism, the stain of this nation that has torn it from this beginning until now. It is still here and it's still present. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to work and do what you would have us to do. Love and care for each other, respect each other, and share your knowledge of you that we may go stronger as love, brothers and sisters. These men and blessings in thy son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. How are you this, <laughs> how are you this grand rising? How are you this grand rising? I'm, I'm doing okay. Um was outside um working on my fire pit and uh, getting ready to cut some uh, bushes around the yard. So I said, no, it is almost 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, guys. Alabama is nice this morning. Ooh. Who wants to start off? Y'all want to identify yourselves? And um, I, I'll call you your, your area code. Okay. Okay. Y'all go ahead and identify yourself. And, and, yeah. Y'all know how to how to do it. Go ahead. Okay. Joyce. Okay, my name is Nayati Melissa and I am a member of the Race Dialogue Group. I also am an advocate within the community. I've been an advocate my entire life. I'm an author, um certified in psychological first aid and relationship therapy. I don't know what else to say because it's early in the morning, so I'm going to let someone else go ahead and introduce themselves so I drink my coffee. Get that coffee. <laughs> You're good. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, my Next. name is uh, David uh, Johnson, and I am a teacher in Yuba City. I uh, have been teaching about 15 years, and I've also the last three years have been a locksmith um, as well. And uh, I'm happy to be here this morning. It's good to hear your voice, uh, Freddie, and to work together. Good. Yeah. Getting locked open the legal way. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kiesenia Kachu. Um, I work at a school as a student support specialist. Um, I've been there. This is my, I believe, seventh school year at the district. And I just work with children uh, in supporting any of their needs. Okay. Next, is that everybody? Hi, I'm Kareen. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm Kareen Harris from Yuba City, and I'm a college student. And I'm just part of the group because I think it's important to talk about these issues and make meaningful changes. So I'm glad to be here. Okay, all right. Good morning. My name right. is Joyce Hope, and I am a member of Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue. Uh, prior to my membership with Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue, I have worked with an organization called Tri-County Environmental Health Awareness, and we are a community-based environmental concern group. And part of our what we are charged with is 
looking at environmental issues that impact our communities. And today, across the United States, no issue impacts our communities today greater than the issue of getting along and racism and the systemic, institutionalized racist systems that we have become woke to realizing is a reality. I have lived in this country all of my life, and I'm 70 years old this month, and I was not aware of many of the issues that exist, and I'm so blessed. Thank you, Pastor Freddie, for the reverence prayer that you provided us in guidance this morning, because we are all sisters and brothers under the spirituality and religion and our God Father. And we want that unification and coming together. But in order to bridge that situation, we have to reach out and establish communication with all of the players at the table. And that is what Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue is trying to do. I have been a nurse for 18 years. Actually, I've been a nurse for 40 years. But I recently retired three years ago from Sutter County Health Department as a public health nurse in communicable disease. And I have participated in several community organizations, including Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue. And I'm really proud of this group of people. They are a diverse group of people, and they are dedicated to wanting to bridge that divide. They want to reach across the aisle. They want to support individuals, and they want to create this communication in order, with, with a thought in mind of sustainability. And that is the reason why young people getting involved in environmental issues and in race dialogue issues and looking at the communication and the system around them in their community is so important to us. And thank you, Freddie, for this opportunity. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and give out the uh, call numbers for those that are listening around the world and uh, hope that they will be uh, calling in. and. Uh, all right, let's give those numbers out. For those of you all in the uh, country of the United Kingdom, uh, the telephone number is 347-202-0317. For the old, uh, those of you in the country of Africa, the number is still 202-0317. For those of you that's in the city of, I mean, the country of Germany, the number is 347 202 and we hope that you will call in and uh, give your points of view on any issue that we're dealing with. For the country of Russia, the number is still 347-202-0317. Call in and let us know your uh, opinion about race, what is your country's race relation, race relation. We're focusing on the United States. 70% of our callers come from the United States. 4% come from the United Kingdom, 3% come from Canada, Germany 2.3%, and Brazil 2.8%. The number for your call in is 347-202-0317. If you just want to listen, 713-955-0464 or 619-639-4634. So you want to talk about race. Ms. Pope, you got the flow. It's Dr. McCarvey. Let me see. I got another 916 number here calling in. Nine one six seven one two. Okay, you, you just dropped and you came back in. Okay, Miss Pope, you got the yes, throw. Yes, that's me. Okay. 
I appreciate that, uh, Pastor Freddie, but I'd like to pass to to Nayadi. Well, I'm 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 not I'm not a pastor, but they think I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's good. It's okay. God's good. I I they've been, I'm seventy five I'm seventy five almost seventy five and they, every time they see me, are you a pastor? I might as well go ahead and preach. They already know I'm a preacher, but anyway, <laughs> y'all go ahead. Okay, Thank so you you're passing the baton to me, Miss Joyce Pope. Yeah, go ahead. You got the floor. Okay, so I'll, I'll start with our community walks that we have every Saturday, and I'm only starting with that because today is Saturday. At 4 o'clock every Saturday, the Race Sutter Race Dialogue has a walk in the community, and it's called Walk as One. And we invite the entire community to come out and walk with us to have conversations about what's going on in the community, to bring awareness to those in the community who may not be aware of some of the systemic injustices in our community, to network with each other, to know who we live around. We've, we're spreading this to other communities as well. Butte County has agreed to walk as one within their county. We are creating sweatshirts. The sweatshirts say Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue on one side, and then on the back it says walk as one. As other counties incorporate this into their routine, hopefully weekly routine as we have, they will have, for example, Butte County will have Butte County Race Dialogues walk as one. So we're spreading it out to different, that is just one of the things that we're encouraging different communities to start with a drop in the bucket. Sometimes the whole picture is so overwhelming that the first response is, what can I do? I'm just one person. Well, one person can walk with another person who could reach someone that they may have may not have reached before. So I'm just going to start with that and throw that out there and let someone else follow up. Dave? Yes, uh, my name is uh, Dave. Can can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you You're now. You're well. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really uh, working as a local community is so many times, you know, we have these academic discussions and we talk about the problem, but at the end of the day, what's being done? Uh, what actions are being taken that are actually going to change anything? And the, the reason I believe the local community is so powerful is the local community, you can show up to a school board, you can talk to school members, school board members, you can say, what education are we doing uh, to, to try to work this problem? You can look at the uh, socioeconomics of the community and you can uh, work with employers, big institutions like Walmart, talk to managers and say, what are you doing about uh, racial profiling? What kind of education are you giving your employees? And so I believe it's important because it's about uh, circle of influence. And if you talk about things that are out of your sphere of influence, um, it's, it's kind of like pointing out that there's a problem, but not, but not actually creating a change. So that, that local community is tangible. It's something that anyone can do. And, and what we're hoping to do is build an infrastructure so that if you have an individual that says, you know what, I'm tired of this, I want to make a change, you have something tangible, you have the, the foundation laid down so that those individuals can step to the plate and uh, make a difference. Uh, Ms. Pope, she talked about um, sustainability. And I, I heard a quote recently that said, it's not about making it, it's about maintaining it. And I thought that was so powerful. You know, if you're black and you've been involved in this struggle, you were never given the option. You were just put into the struggle. 
And uh, for anyone that wants to be a quote-unquote white ally or be part of uh, the solution, you know, um, it's, it's about that sustainability. It's not about just putting a Black Lives Matter halo around your Facebook. It's about putting in the work that's going to actually make the change. If we are going to dismantle institutions of division, those institutions need to be replaced with institutions that bring us together and help safeguard so that we don't go back to what we were before. And um, I, I, I always think about my one-year-old son. I always think about my two-year-old son, and I think about the students that I work with. And, and my hope is, you know, you've set a race dialogue 20 years from now. I'll be seeing students I work with. I'll be even seeing my own children involved in it and creating the work and putting the infrastructure so we never go back to it because it's not about just getting rid of it for a moment or just talking about it and just feeling good. It's about creating and establishing a system that creates that justice um, uh, amongst us, that creates the, discuss uh, the discussions amongst us, that creates the sustainability that maintains it so we never go back to, to, to what was. Moving forward, that's powerful. That's, that's great, Dave. Thank you, sir. Next speaker, you got the flow. Um, I don't really have anything to say about that. Yesenia, I think yeah, it looks like what Yesenia has an up some idea. Yes. Yes. Um uh, I want to add on to that, and uh, with the walk as one, that's that's exactly what it is. It's a unity of, of individuals, just like uh, we had come together, and we're very much, even though, like Nayati said, uh, even though there's, um, we share sometimes the same race, we all come from different backgrounds, and part of this walk is to have these conversations as we're, you know, um, getting our exercise and building connections with, with people who want to be involved and don't know how to start. We're here to let them know that, you know, you don't have to have the, the right answers or know which way direction. We're all here. We're even, even us as a group, we're trying to figure out how we could help um, ourselves and others around us. And that's why I enjoyed that we have this walk um, because sometimes uh, if we join groups, it, it kind of feels overwhelming. And so this is an easy way or a, a way in, to get into that door uh, of learning about um, systemic racism or any other um, injustices that we have had here in our, in our country. Um, and I think something that David also touched basis on is um, – with the education and, and different companies and groups that are well known, like, you know, we want to build a, a sustainability so that it, it doesn't have to die off. You know, many times we get um, groups or alliances and then after protests die off, after um, certain things start dying off, uh, the work isn't being shown, and we're here to say that we will continue doing the work because that's just part of sustainability is to continue doing the work and learning. Um, as t 
times change, laws change. Um, we need to be updated with, with all of those uh, things, infrastructures. And so part of, um, you know, sustaining something is to continuously do research and work um, in it. And um, I think that we have such a great support within each other here in our group that, you know, we kind of add fuel to our fires, like spark that interest, spark that passion. And that's what's really awesome about our group is that we have a lot of um, support with one another and people who, who join our sessions or walks um, will see that. And, you know, hopefully they know that they have the support of us um, who also, you know, keep them going. On on the walks on Saturdays, um, um, how many guys usually be out on that walk with you all each uh, Saturday? Is it number varies? Um, it's last all, time, I think the first. Go ahead. Uh, the first walk that we had. This is Corey. Sorry, the first walk that we had. We had about. 13 people attending and now we have you know a consistent I'd say six or seven every week um, but we're trying to grow that number we've been in the paper a couple times and so hopefully with that coverage people will see it and be able to make time in their schedule to come out every week mm -hmm. Good. great great can y'all guys hear me well uh, do I need to be a little louder or whatever everybody hear me good I yes, yes yes you're uh it's it's okay, coming right. through yes okay all right okay next speaker you have the floor um once um uh the lead speaker sets the trend we we're talking about the walk and what do you what occurs on that walk uh, in your interaction I'm reminded one of the things that some of the preachers that used to do in our areas walk the community uh, I haven't seen a pastor preacher walk in this com in the communities around here in the last five or six years. That's 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 why maybe things are going awry. But talk yes. about what occurs on those walks. In other words, you are uh, going out and you are, have a banner of bridging the gap or breaking down the barriers of differences in racism. Anyone that wants to talk, please go. So this is Nayadi Melissa. And I believe okay. that I, it's very interesting that you bring up the, the pastors and the preachers walking in the community because that is the first thing I thought of when we created this walk. Because when I was young, I was raised in the Bay Area. And when I lived in Richmond, everyone knew the pastor and the people of the church because they walked the community. They made sure that the, the dope scenes were fed, the homeless were fed, the kids were clothed. If the church had it, the community had it. And that is part of my motivation on the walks that we take. Now, when we're on our walks, we discuss things that are happening within the community. For example, on our last walk, there was a young lady who had started college. She's on the verge of quitting college, and she didn't know which direction to go. So she's talking to another member of our walk who is a principal of a school, and she's saying how she majors in business, but she doesn't know which direction to go. Corrine is also, Corrine Harris is also a member on the walk. She was speaking and she's here today, happens to be majoring in business. So fortunately, this lady, this young lady, 
20, who's ready to lose her way, was able to talk to Corrine and get a little inspiration and network and they exchanged information so that now she has a mentor that she wouldn't have never met had it not been for this walk. On this walk, we've also encountered people who had no ideal, two young ladies actually, who had no ideal about systemic racism or what internal biases were. They in turn found out about our book discussion group, which is a book discussion on the book, So You Want to Talk About Race. They are now part of that book discussion group. And one fierce white lady is so ready to tackle everything that she's been taught that was wrong and teach the people in her circle. And she's it's, it's amusing to me because it's beautiful at the same time. But she was like, I'm cutting off that Facebook friend and that Facebook friend, and I don't understand how I didn't see that. And it's beautiful, but these are connections that would not have been made had it not been for that walk. So earlier we were discussing the impact that the walk have on the community, and it, it connects us to each other. It makes it so that they're not strangers with you in the grocery store. It makes it so that if you're having an issue at the school, if a kid is being bullied at the school, and a parent who goes on that walk sees that kid, they're more inclined to interact with what's going on. They're more inclined to say, hey, I recognize that kid. That's the child of one of the mothers I go on a walk with. We, we network. We talk. It's community. It helps create a foundation for us to get to know each other and make a change in our community. No one wants to make a change with people they don't know. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. I'm reminded also, guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say that I agree with that. And I think that this walk is uh, opening up a lot of opportunities in the community because we are very to ourselves in our town. We have a lot of different social cliques. And so I think for people of all races to come together and walk together as one is really impactful on the community at large, but also for, you know, social purposes, like Nayadi was saying, it just helps form those connections that otherwise wouldn't be formed. And so I think that that's a beautiful result of us starting this walk. Have you all on the walk experienced that real hardcore racism? Or when you go, do you walk on, when I say hollowed ground, I mean, areas that you're familiar with are you walking unhallowed ground, folks, communities that you have not been in before. Uh, you're somebody that goes ahead to plant the seed that the race dialogue people are going to be walking the streets this afternoon. So on our walk, we have a mutual meeting place. We have a, 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 a place that we meet at all the time. It's the Plumas. It's the fountain on Plumas. Um, street the name of the fountain right now off the top of my head I'm sure one of my members one of our members know the name off the top of their head most likely Joyce because she's awesome but we meet at that fountain every week so everyone knows that there's a meeting place so no one has to look for us wonder where we are search for us and we meet there and we walk up the main street which is Plumas in Yuba City we walk up that street we walk turn around we come back we walk over to Gache Park Gache Park is the water park and public pool in Yuba City area. Within that park, there's usually people uh, either playing or they're having a birthday party. It gives us a chance. It gives them a chance to see us. There's also medical offices down there. The main building for Yuba Community College District is down there. 
So we're in a prime location where people are always coming up and down that street. There are businesses there. The first time we went on a walk, we got some surprise visitors because they saw us walking and wanted to know what was going on. And as much as we appreciate the word of mouth and the media exposure, people seeing us is what's really important when they see us and they come out and want to join us. And it's not just black people or white people. It's who are already in shape. It is a variety of people. And the more they see that variety of people, the more variety we hope that will come out and walk with us to make change. Okay. Okay. I think also too what's powerful about the the walk is um, that we're building those uh, relationships and, and we're networking, you know. Maybe we meet someone that's of the right mindset and they're a manager or they know of an opportunity or they know of a grant. And so what we do is we also start to build uh, potentially a socioeconomic base of people that are of the same mindset. And uh, so, so what begins to happen is you try, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build and recreate different social norms within our local community that says, hey, if you are of the same mindset, if, if you are of a mindset of justice and dignity for all people, uh, there's an opportunity, there's, there is an economic ladder to climb, and, it, and it's working together in that way with that value system uh, that is, is part of what we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you guys this. Um, in regards to uh, the stimulus package that is taking place now, um, you notice the position. I don't know whether – I know you work from the ground root level, coming in with the everyday people so far as dealing with racism and that's really where it needs to start because uh, most of the time when you get up on the federal and, and the higher levels um, it, 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 it's just a quagmire of, of, of trials and tribulations until you can break it down below the, the issues of race. What do you think is going on with the two sides in regards to what's going on in this country how much do you think it has to do with race? You you mean in regards Hello? to some of the protests that we have, or? Yeah, you, what I'm saying, this this division, this the resentment to work together to 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 to. Accomplish stuff for the people of this country. Well, how much do you think that has to do with race? And but just the the quagmire politics. Um, I I think the the pandemic basically has put a a magnifying glass on what already existed, and I think that social media and technology has made um, you know with cameras and everything accessible for everyone of all socioeconomic levels. And so I, I don't think that anything new has been created, but I do think a lot has been exposed. So I think for some individuals in this country, depending on what your life experiences are, it's new. And you're like, what? All this is going on. But I think there's some individuals that have lived in, and seen enough to say this has been going on. And, and, and that's the opportunity that we're 
hoping to uh, to build on to create the awareness to help spark the change. Mm-hmm. Do you have in your school, do you have any uh, race dialogue classes? I mean, I know you you come by it every day when you stand up teaching, and, and if it's there, it's going to pop out some student who, who has the urge to get it off his chest or is dealing with this issue. But do y'all have a, in school something set aside specifically dealing with the issues of race? I, You know, just being a, a teacher teacher myself, um, I think that the school system is is a little bit fearful to try to touch the topic uh, oh, because, okay. because, yeah, yeah because so. they're afraid they're afraid. Yeah. So that's, that's part of it, but that's also what we're hoping to bridge. Um, one of the things we discussed, uh, with the, the 13th project is potentially, uh, the, the school district in Yuba city has an optional, uh, training where the teachers can select for the classes. And we're hoping potentially to get that message out, uh, to the teachers and to find like-minded teachers that are helping, willing to build that culture. Uh, with within the school, um, and uh, so so these are things that are really important because if you don't acknowledge uh, what's going on, uh, then you can't fix it. And I can tell you as as a teacher that has seen things firsthand that there's a lot of stuff going on um, within the school system, and uh, and I I think the awareness is not fully there. I I did do a training uh, where we had a guest speaker that was talking about statistics in regards to suspension rates and how black students have higher suspension rates. And after the meeting, there was a teacher that said, oh, I liked the meeting. Everything was good except for all that um, stuff, that fooey about, uh, you know, uh, injustice in the education system. So she didn't, she didn't see it. And this was before George Floyd. Now, what was interesting is after George Floyd, uh, that same teacher I saw, had the Black Lives Matter halo, and um, and so I think what's important is to really connect the information and the knowledge in a tangible way, um, which is part of what what we're hoping to do, uh, one step at a time. Okay, one issue that I I, I look at the reason why this occurs, guys, is that um, we we tend to think that. Okay, say if it's uh, spiritual things, religious things, or that, and that, or teaching kids about behavior and things in class, stuff like that. All that should take at, take place at the home. And we are fearful of encroaching on parents' responsibility to do their own job. When I say your job, parenting, right to parent. Some people don't know how to parent how to, how to deal with children. But do you think in our society our fear of encroaching on parents' territory to force their responsibilities to make a person, a young student, able to come into the classroom, sit down and be ready to learn or deal with issues of race in an open dialogue is the fear why we won't go there, those that are in, in positions where you can go there. Um, this is Yesenia. Um, so I also work at a school, and part of my job what I really enjoy about my job is that I get to work with the principal, psychologists, counselors, parents, teachers. So I get to see their roles, and I get to interact 
um, a lot with students, specifically for students. So I interact with with students, and I have came across uh, many instances where um, there are parents who do teach uh, their children their own values and morals. Um, Something that I always say, and I know many people who do interact with me at school, at the schools, um, know that when it comes to kindness and treating people respectfully, if if I hear, if I know about it, I'm going to, regardless of what is being taught at school, I always say to parents, this is a school, this is not a home, and here in school, we are going to be teaching students how to be compassionate beings and how to be kind and respectful towards each other. Um, a little bit more about uh, the previous question that I wanted to add on to that. Um, a, a lot of people at the district where I work at are aware um, that there are a lot of issues, systemic issues, not only in our laws, but also in education as well. And one thing that I do want to say is that our district is, uh, cr- has created an, e- an equity team um, which it consists of anyone in the district who wants to join this group. We meet once a month, and we do talk about issues not just uh, with race, but also disability or just basically finding equity for uh, not just the, for the students, but also to touch on um, these conversations and have these conversations with uh, teachers, administrators, and even people from the district. Um, it is a, a it is like David had mentioned. It is a scary topic because you don't know if there's going to be any repercussions or, um, you know, that if you're going to be offending someone or what's going to happen uh, within the district, what it is, uh, what are they're doing. But that's something I do want to emphasize that I actually have enjoyed being a part of the equity team and. Um, uh, what I hear from these meetings is that there are people there that actually want to put in also some work. Um, and when it comes to parents, uh, you know, a lot of people from this meeting has emphasized that that is something difficult that they have came across where, you know, they came across parents that are teaching their children these values of um, being racist or um, xenophobic or homophobic or any of these topics and um, we want to be sure that we are inclusive um, not just with our, our students but we're inclusive also of uh, the staff members and we're actually looking into um, the statistics uh, with our numbers of uh, people of color the students and the staff members and how that is disproportionate you know a lot of people a lot of students in our district um, are minorities, and a lot of our uh, staff members are white folks. You know, they're white people, and we, we are aware of this. We are talking about it, and that's the beginning part of it, and that's something that I am proud of, of saying is, um, you know, there are steps that are happening. Um, and on my own individual uh, work and being in this group is, that's why I joined this group is because I've I've lived in in, in I grew up with this district uh, with their educational system and now I'm working in it 
And I have seen a lot of injustices as a student and now as an adult working there, I still see them. And part of joining this group is shining light, not just in our education, but also in our community. Um, and so it all correlates, the parents, the students, the educational, because a lot of the time these students are at the school. So we then become, I guess, in a sense, a parent figure for most of the students. And something that I emphasize to parents is that as long as they're not being disrespectful, um, you know, saying these racial slurs or anything, they're fine. You know, we're just not going to promote uh, hate or disrespect, and that's part of something that I enjoy doing at, at the school is uh, teaching these students not to hate each other for their differences, or at least not to show it or demonstrate it in the school. Um, I hope that I instill some of that into, you know, into them, and as they get older, I hope that they could reflect on the words that I do say to them and hopefully change their ways. You know, it's it's just about creating that, that um, relationship with, with students, but also the people in our community. And that's, I, I feel that's where a true change happens, is building those relationships. All right, that's, that's great. Um, go ahead. If I may, I wanted to go back really quickly to that question that you asked about the stimulus check and, you know, the economy and politics currently. Um, I, this is Corey, by the way, I think that whether or not something is overtly stated to be about race in this country, oftentimes it is. And I think that the stimulus check is very indicative of that. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the Texas power outage and stuff and how Texas was saying they wanted to secede from the country a couple of days earlier, then when it affects them, they're calling on the government for assistance it's always, you know, the double standard situation. So if we look at COVID-19 and how it's affected mostly people of color, um, obviously there's going to be some hesitation to providing assistance uh, for people of color based from the government. You know, they don't want to give out money because it's going to us. And I think that that's very evident because, it's, you know, it's being held up. They're not wanting to provide it. We're debating for $1,400 for weeks in a row. Um, but then as soon as, you know, something happens, in Texas, or there's people uh, that have, you know, a big portion of the control of the government, something happens to them, then they want money and they get assistance almost immediately. So I just think it's very interesting. And you can kind of trace that back to um, color a lot of times in race in this country. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, me as a, a young black man, well, older black man now, and what I've experienced in this country is that um, um, my mom and my family and us, are, we have been blessed to have what he call great interpersonal skills. In other words, I know how to communicate with you. I know how to talk to you. I know how to interact with you. And if you are racist or indifferent to me, I can tell it instantly. You don't have to say a word. You don't, you don't have to do anything. It just, my spirit knows it. And I have never been wrong about how people feel about me or what their ob objections to me are. But one of the things that I do as a person, 
I can go into the post office downtown. There's a gentleman that I've known all my life, and I worked in this community all my life, uh, building baseball fields and running youth league and running basketball things and all, all kinds of stuff all my life. And this gentleman promised us when we were building a baseball field and a uh, concession stand that he would make a contribution. I called, I bet you I called him 25 times, and he always said the same thing. So finally, I just I just gave up on it. I, I continued to press him. But when I go in the post office, I knew that he was a racist, and I could tell him. When I go in the post office, I make it my business that this particular white gentleman speaks. I speak to him until he speaks. <clears throat> and I, I'm... I'm a hostile like that when it comes to racism. I I I take it on. I don't play with it. I I go right at it, and when I sense it. But this, this I have got. I have yet. I think one time he came and he spoke without me prodding him to speak. Now that's. I mean, you know. That, that ain't no that's 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 the spirit speaking. I don't know if any of you guys are like that or whatever, but I may be going too deep. But the thing of it is, racism is a sin, and 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 you're not loving and caring about each other, that feeling that you are superior, and that they this particular person or that particular group has not the right to vote or whatever. That's a sin. That's evil. That's the same thing that led to the the the, the, the extermination of of, of uh, 6 million Jews in Germany. But the thing of it is, I appreciate what y'all do. You are working at breaking down a sin that affects all human beings, blacks, white, I don't care what race you are. Uh, <clears throat> I just had to can I Can that. I follow up on what you just said? Yeah. This is Nayati. What you just said was so profound, more profound than I think you realize. So what is what you're discussing right now that happens in the black community is part of what is known as epigenetics. We don't have the privilege to not know what the next person is thinking before they think it. From the time we are born within our community, our parents are teaching us what to watch out for. Because us not watching out for, us not recognizing or paying attention to those personal cues, the eye movements, the gesture change, the body language, could end in our death. No exaggeration. No pun. It could end in our death. We grow up with this. Me, my sisters, my brothers, we have this. And to meet people who don't have it seems odd to us. But ironically enough, when I meet people who are not in that community, who have not been raised within that community, they have no idea. They say things like, how could you tell? You didn't see what she said. You didn't see how they looked at us. You didn't notice the change of energy when we walked in the room. But we don't have... We we don't we don't have the privilege to not have that sixth sense, and <laughs> yes, we don't have the privilege to not have that sixth sense. So when you talked about walking into the post office and you set you speak to the man and you make sure to make your presence known, that's also something that's been embedded in us. And I was just telling my niece this the other day. I said I had to come to a realization. And I had to own part of my um, personality is I'm a little passive aggressive. I say, and part of my passive aggressive comes out when I get into an elevator 
or going to an establishment, and I notice that a person who is not of my color or my nationality or background does not want to speak to me or acknowledge me. My first instinct is to say, hello, how are you doing? I said, and if I'm in the elevator and they don't speak, I said, I get real evil with it. Um, how are you doing? I love your earrings that you have on today. Your dress is absolutely stunning. And I'm going to compliment you until you speak to me. Because I'm not going to allow mm-hmm. negative energy to stay in my space. So we're going to have yeah. a positive interaction. Before you leave this elevator, you're going to smile. You're going to remember me because I'm the one that made you let go of that negative facade you had on when we first stepped into each other's presence. In other words, I'm the one that made you raise your shield, and I'm going to tear your shield down. And I'm going to help you tear it down. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And I think that within the, you know, the world that we're in, there's a lot of people that disguise their hatred uh, with religion and stuff like that, or they'll say that, um, they're, they're Christian or they believe in God and all this stuff, but they say things that are so evil and like how you were saying sinful, you know, racism is sinful. And my aunt, this is an anecdote, had a job where her boss was trying to say something racist about black people. And she was telling him, okay, you can have your opinion on this. I'll take heaven because there's not going to be any racists in heaven. And that always stuck with me because people think that, you know, just because they say they believe in something that they're going to get to the good place. But if you pay attention to the Bible that you believe in, you know, God talks about how he's not a respecter of persons and how it doesn't matter what you Mm -hmm. look like. So I think that people need to check themselves and, you know, get that reality that, you know, hate is not, is not in there. We're not called to hate each other. We're called to love each other. And that's a big thing that I think people are missing. So whether you're religious or not, you need to love people and you need to treat people the way you want to be treated. I think. This is Tiffany. I want to add on to what Nayati and um, Corinne were saying. I also have had uh, similar experiences. I, I'm Mexican, uh, but was raised here. And so I, there's a lot of farm workers here um, in this area, um, a lot of field workers. And so my father, um, God bless his soul, he brought us here, all seven of his children and his wife, to start a family here in Northern California. Um, the, most of us, half of us in our family worked at the fields. I was too young to work at it. Um, by then they had established uh, fairly good jobs. Um, but something that I have also experienced in this community is um, racism and about the nonverbal, but with the body language of uh, racism that it, it, it exists, and I think it comes across many, uh, you know, black, indigenous, and people of color experience this, and they know what it is, um, but I didn't know there was an actual term for it. So thank you, Nayati, for giving us that term. Um, and it exists in people who, you know, don't doesn't fall under racism or haven't experienced true racism, um, won't know what we're talking about or what we experience. And so I think it's wonderful, um, Freddie, that you brought that up, your experience, because I think it goes across a lot of people of color have had the similar experience. And I just remember being uh, um, walked into school as uh, being maybe seven years old, and I didn't understand at the time why this white lady would just look at me with such anger. And I was like, 
so afraid. I'd want to cross the street just so that I could go to school so I don't have to walk past uh, her home. And so I just, at that time, I couldn't understand what I did. Um, and it wasn't just me. It was, you know, me and my siblings would walk to school and my friends uh, who are also uh, Mexican. And so uh, that kind of hate um, actually helped me understand the world more. And um, although that I was, I grew up with such anger within myself or with other people, I, I learned through compassion. And that's the thing. A lot of people that that are people of color grow into very compassionate people. And we're not here to hate. We're not here to continue the hate or terror or any of that. From my experience, I feel like we are more understanding and we understand even um, the heritage or the, the past workings of white folks. We even have compassion towards that and we understand that. And so we're here to, to connect uh, individuals. And like you guys all said, um, I'm not, I'm not uh, religious. I'm, I'm very spiritual. And so I agree with you all that um, regardless of whatever religion you have, at the end, it's about not what the label you have or what religion you have. It's about whether or not you're going to be a kind person, respectful and compassionate. Do you have empathy for your neighbor? You know, even if they are, do have these uh, nonverbal um, hatred towards you? Do you have compassion to understand where that came from for them? Do you have that space to understand them and where they came from? And so, you know, at the end, when we all pass, I do believe there will be a space in the universe where we could, we weren't, we're not going to judge each other for, for our color of skin or, or what our backgrounds are. We are going to be united. Um, so I think it's it's a wonderful topic because it's a topic that I actually don't haven't had a lot with people, and I think it's a conversation that should be said, and I'm glad that we're having it now because uh, it's a topic that not many people even talk about. So I'm very pleased to to be a part of this, and I thank you, Freddie, for bringing up that topic. Right. I am uh, I'm posting on Facebook. One of the things that I I find about my uh, radio broadcast, I, I have over, uh, I'm closing in on nearly uh, 130, 40,000 listeners worldwide. And every once in a while I get a, a really uh, abrasive call from a foreign country dealing with the issues of race. I haven't had one in a while. But it just lets you know that racism just ain't in America. It's in humans. And and, 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 and we got to deal with it because God gives us the responsibility to, to deal with it. And, and it. and we need to continually to pray about it. And, and, and whenever those people like that went to the Capitol and did what they did and actually felt they had a right to do that without any repercussion, because they were what? The dominant race. When there is only two types of races in the world, according to God's word. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. Everybody else, you either a Jewish, God's people, or you a Gentile. 
But the Gentiles one breaks down into all the different colors and skin colors and the, all, all the different mulatto, whatever you want to call yourself, but you're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. But the thing about it is, when you have that spirit of, uh, as a young lady said, six senses, feel that presence of evil in it when it comes. All it is is evil. God letting you know it's evil in your presence. That's all it is. And you can identify it. And, 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 and that's that's powerful. And, and I, I think the conversation needs to continue. We need to, to, to begin to, when we see it, feel it, and, and it's, it's pressing upon you, say something about it and do something about it right then. Don't wait till later. Do right then. Like uh, you did in the elevator. That's right. That's right. Right then. And I, I so think, too, that this that uh this this is the importance of um having you know more diversity in our education system amongst the teachers uh more diversity in our politicians our judges uh the the the, the more diversity uh more socio socioeconomic uh diversity because uh you know we we relate morality most a lot of people based on consequence. So when there isn't a consequence for a behavior, a lot of times that behavior won't be perceived internally as as morally wrong. And I, I say that to give this example. Um, I remember when music was, you know, first being downloaded, and they had all these these different ways that you could Napster, different ways you could download music, and everybody was down, downloading it. And instead of you know paying for Walmart. And most people, when they would download, they would be like, oh, this is awesome, this is this is great. And in the beginning, there really wasn't a consequence for it, even though that artist put that time into it, and there really wasn't much difference between taking that download and uh, going to Walmart and taking the CD, because the CD only, you know, costs, you know, 20, 30 cents to produce. What what you're paying for is the innovation of, of the artist that, that put that CD together. But part of why many people didn't perceive uh, perceive it as being wrong or, or or unjust was because there wasn't a consequence behind it, and that that's part of what we see with police brutality. Every time a police officer com- commits an action of violence and he gets off scot free, uh, amongst other police officers, amongst uh, community members that aren't affected by it, it sends out a message that there isn't anything morally wrong with it, and. So when we start having more teachers, more managers, more judges, and we have that diversity, there's a consequence. If 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 uh, you're a manager and you're trying to hire someone and they're giving that negative, uh, racist uh, vibe, guess what? You're not getting the job, you know. And you may be too ignorant to see that you lost the opportunity because of your ignorance, but there will be others that see that, and that's where I think we can begin to create a different set of social norms that start making uh, overt what's been covert and and start making it a part of where people internalize and realize the sin of what they did. He who hath, uh, hateth his brother without a cause hath not the father. Love thy neighbor as thy heart and soul. Love the Lord thy God with uh, all thy heart and soul. And these messages have always been, uh, but we have uh, had a, a choosing to be in this ignorance, uh, the, the the message it's in our uh, constitution of of how we should treat everyone equally and justly. So 
So we know the message, we say the message, but we just don't follow it. And that's, that's what I'm hoping uh, can happen at the core level. Guys, I want to stop just for a second and interject something for a missing member of our church here who's been missing for a while. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this just for, while I'm on the air. Um, for those that are listening uh, here locally, uh, missing endangered person alert. The family is asking for public assistance in locating Mr. Willie Lee Richardson, Jr., missing since November 28, 2020. Uh, personal information, his name is Willie Lee Richardson. His status is missing since November 28. Uh, at 8.40 a.m., he's age 71. Height is 6 feet. His weight is 200 pounds. His gender is male. Ethnicity is race, black. His hair is color and partially gray. There is a $2,000 reward offered for anyone with information reading to the whereabouts of 71-year-old Mr. Richardson. If you have any information regarding Mr. Richardson, please contact the Monroe County Emergency Number 911-251-575-22, I'm sorry, 2911, 251-575-2911, Monroe County Sheriff's Office at 251-575-2635, or his sister Betty Madison, 251-282-9335. Brother Richard is a member of our church. And uh, I had the opportunity to work with him uh, in building a, uh, in a, in a building here at the J.F. Shields High School as a carpenter with him. Uh, I just wanted to throw that information out while we were live on there. Okay, guys, we're talking about the issue of racism and how it affects you, how you can sense it, uh, what you can do about it, and uh, the uh, uh, city is doing something about it. I like to walk. Uh, is there other tasks that you guys do? Uh, uh, the 13th Amendment um, that you guys do, is there other things that you do to break down this wall of racism? Thank you, Freddie. I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate this opportunity to respond to your question. Not only are we holding the walk on a regular basis, in the community. We are also providing the presentation to the community around the movie, the film documentary, 13th. And in that process, our original goal was to provide the local college, community college, Yuba College, with four credits through their professors, credit in four presentations around the film 13th, which has community dialogue or student dialogue and discussion related to school to prison pipeline. And it is a very moving, very effective documentary that deals with facts and data about our history in this country regarding racism and even more the embedded policies that have been developed that reinforce that racist position in our communities. Um, because we planned that function event for the college, we decided to take advantage of Black History Month, opportunity up to the community to participate in those discussions around this film on four separate events. We're breaking the film down in four parts. And we have done 
our first presentation during Black History Month on the 13th of February at 5 p.m. via Zoom. We did our second presentation to the community on 13th on Zoom on the 27th of February. And we're now planning our third presentation. And although Black History Month is over, we believe that Black History and this issue of racism deserve the audience of continuing to talk and discuss about this as we look into the future. I think that these issues need to be addressed on a regular basis. Therefore, we have planned on the 13th of March our third presentation to the community around the film 13th at 5 p.m. on Saturday via Zoom. And we also have planned the 27th of March, our fourth presentation to the community around the film 13th. And we're excited about that. However, I cannot leave the subject without including the fact that, as Nayati mentioned, there are issues across cultures and there are issues within cultures that we're looking at in regard to, to these, this issue of racism. And I have to admit, I am someone who's not, who may not have that sixth sense. I may not have that sixth sense because we are also victims of the propaganda that have been bombarded in our communities on and on, especially in the last four years. And that bombardment of propaganda introduced you to information that's the visceral level of your own being. When you're listening to propaganda, it appeals to individuals on a mass measure, their sense of right, wrong, loyalty, humility, and racism. And the individuals who are having this one-way conversation through propaganda to the community, to the masses, are able to change lives. They're able to change minds. They're able to impress upon not only white individuals about how they should think about the black community, but also the black community as well. We are not immune to the propaganda when you are bombarded again and again. You, you, you're not aware of your active participation in that process. And therefore, you can take on some of this content not realizing you're carrying for, from the originator of that propaganda. You're carrying that message, whether it's a right message or a wrong message. However, that mm. is what you become a, a part of. And I remember when I was in my 20s, and my mother and I was in a fish market, and across the counter was a white lady that we were ordering fish from. And my mother said, you know, Judy, you work across the street there at that restaurant. Why don't you go and say hello to her? You haven't seen her in a long time. And as I started to respond to my mother, the lady, the white lady across the counter, interjected into our conversation and said, no, 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 now is not a good time to go over there. They're busy. You should choose another day. And I said, oh, Okay. And my mother gently tapped my knee and said, go on. I was halfway across the street when it dawned on me I was going to respond to someone across the counter that wasn't even in my conversation about what I should or should not do. I was incensed. I was eight, but I was already across the street. And it was a moment in time that I'll never forget because I realized that I was being impacted by someone that did not know me 
as to what I should or should not do, and that was not right in that moment. And my mother saw the insight in that and gently nudged me in the direction to do what she suggested in our conversation. I say that to say that sometimes we don't realize that we're caring for someone a concept that we should be against in our core, and we may not realize it. And that's the purpose and the beauty of the reason Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue exists, and that is what we hope to open the minds of across cultures and races as well within our own culture. I also wanted to share with you some quotes in regard to the book that we're having a book club on of each month, which is we're starting a new book club discussion group, and we're really thrilled to see the idea of book discussion groups growing around the book, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ojuma Olua. And there are some good things out in the world that, are, that have been written in regard to this book. We need to read it. You need to read it. Um, one of the things that the root stated about this book, everyone should be paying attention to this author. A clear and candid contribution to an essential conversation, wrote Hakkas. Um, additionally, Bo stated, impressed and unflinching. Additionally, the book, the one book every white person should read this year is a quote. Um, answers the questions you're afraid to ask, but, but does it beautifully, states the book riot. Additionally, the Seattle Times states, vibrant, graceful, urgently needed, pulls the most exasperated of us back from the brink and reminds us what, what's to be gained from the discussion itself. Additionally, the Washington Independent Review states, white readers are going to gain insight, and readers of color generally will find camaraderie and a resource that they can depend on. We are using that book, So You Want to Talk About Race, and we hope that other communities will continue to start these kinds of book discussion groups across the country, and we're really thrilled that we're a part of that process. And we appreciate you too, Freddie, for allowing us this venue to be able to share with the public our ideas around racism and what Yuba Sutter Race Dialogue is doing in Yuba and Sutter County, California. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I, I would very much like to make an offer to you guys. What you do on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis and the purpose, I, I, uh, your vision, the things I have the vision uh, written into uh, today's uh, um, broadcast format. After the program, go to the comments on this broadcast. Each one of you should have the link already. Uh, if you don't, you just go on, you know, just go to the radio station there, and then you find the link. And go down to the comments page and post your comments about the important elements of that you're doing, such as the equity team that's a part of a high school, uh, or what you do on the second and fourth Fridays, the walk uh, uh, through the community. I mean, what does that mean? The book that every white person uh, should read this year or be aware of, and, and, and that so, so you want to talk about race. In other words, post 
each time we do a broadcast, these broadcasts are powerful, guys. I'm telling you, when we engage in this conversation, it gives people the fodder and the fuel to change, to take the initiative. It's kind of like singing gospel. Gospel can't sing you, but it'll bring you to the presence of God where you break you down, emotions begin to cry, and you call out to yeah, God. Man. But this begins, gives you the fodder and the fuel to call out. I, I feel that. That happened to me. I, I, I need to do something about it. I can't keep teaching my children not to go across the street and talk to the to, to the to the other That's black right. kids in the community. Uh, not to not to go sit at the table with uh, other black kids. I I I gotta stop teaching my children. All you do is hang with your white brothers and sisters. You only way change is going to place is that you get in the mix. You break down the separation. That's what's happening in this country right now. We're just getting spread apart like oil and water. And one of the things today I want to say right now, and so far as uh, news information, is just to hit the news about nine or ten minutes ago. The Senate passed the $1.9 trillion billion bill without a single Republican vote. Not a single vote. Not one. This is what's happening in this country. That's why they're going to fight, excuse my expression, fight like hell to get back in power to shut down everything that the Democrats do. It's sick what's going on in this country. How are we going to grow together when we can't even talk together? That's what's at the heart of this stuff. It's evil. But the thing you about it, guys, is remember this. Agree people need help. Yeah, yes. the thing and about that is this. The thing about this, guys, is this. Know God. Act in favor of God. Treat people right regardless of what they do. It does not matter. Same thing with racism. Just do what's right. Continue to do what's right. The reality of it. I like what you what so you're Mr. Doing. Howard. Uh, go ahead. Mr. Howard, to ask what you said, um, that is part of why race dialogue started. Because as long as we sit here and depend on the government who has apparently shown that they have no vested interest in those who are being stepped on by the system, we have to stand up for ourselves. We have to build the connections within our community to make change one person, one community at a time. We can't depend on the government to say it's okay for our kids to go to or not to learn what they learn in school. We have to teach them in our community because apparently it's not happening on the level that we're waiting for it to happen on. And either we can continue to sit on our hands and wait for someone else to take care of what we need to take care of, or we can step up and do it ourselves. And that's what Race Dialogue has chosen to do. We've chosen to step up and do it ourselves. Every action that we take is an action towards change. Every walk, every meeting, every workshop, every discussion group, at the end of every meeting that we have, we implement a change. Either something that someone has done, we share something that someone has done, or we share something that someone has said. Because us getting together and talking is something that we've been doing in the community of color all our lives. We're done talking. Mm -hmm. And if at the end of our conversation you can't tell us or show us change, then you're wasting you're wasting our time exactly. and making us just spend our wills. And that's not what we're here for. And I believe yes, next what, one of our members want to speak, Yesenia. And that's, that's, that's uh, the thing about politics. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. 
I just want to say, in addition to what Nayadi said, I mean, we see it in in history from time and time again, where the government promises a lot of things of reparations and and a lot of justice for people of color, Black, Indigenous people of color, and there's no follow through. And they promise, and they and they say with this person that, that we elect, and even the people that we do elect that we decided to vote on, and they're in office. They, the promises are not there. And so part of the work is having these discussions and us, the people, creating the work so that we push this information that we learn into the government, into our local state and our, uh, this country's government. And, of course, this, this goes with other people uh, around the world. You see a lot of people protesting. You see Indian and the injustices that the Sikh people who, by the way, there's a huge Sikh population here in our in our area that you see these injustices in our in governments all across the world. And part of what people are are done and people of color are just done, or people that are minorities in, in our countries are done with uh, trusting the government that they will make these changes. When in reality, us the people, if we stay enlightened, if we make the work, they will know that we know, and we will push. We're going to continue to make that effort to push so that we could change within our local state and our nation's um, government laws. And that's why you see now the push with uh, George Floyd in the act that they just are going to, they're working on passing. And so you see that these are not just from, um, it came out of nowhere. This is from hundreds of years that people have trying to just tell the government, tell people it, that this isn't right. Slavery isn't right, right? And so you still pe- have people that believe that slavery is good for the purpose mm. of ben- their benefit. And so mm. we're, we're going to continue uh, as, in this, as a group to talk about these issues, to talk about the information we are learning, not just from our local or the state, but we're from the country and, of course, from all over the world because uh, America is is involved in in all over the world. So whatever happens in other countries, their injustices, it's very much so our injustices because, once again, I'm going to touch bases on the the state culture and and what's going on in India because a lot of those farm workers uh, that's happening in, in India, those Sikhs, seek refuge here in our county, in Sutter County. And they are a part of our agriculture as well. And so their work and our work is, is correlated. And people who, who, who believe that these things are not connected, there's actually a lot of work that one needs to find out to make that connection. Because after all, we're all human beings. And we all need to learn how to understand each other. And that's part of the work that we are doing as individuals and as a team is to kind of understand in what the connections. So it's all interconnected. And so we, we're working to try and, and talk about these things and how important it is to um, talk about the government, why we continue to push to make the change. Because as time and time again, the government has not followed through. That's all I got to say. Before I forget it, uh, the young lady that spoke about the equity team in the comment section, 
give a brief synopsis of three or four lines about the equity team and what it's about and how it works in the school. You can't go into all the details how it works, but leave a number where they can contact Yuba uh, City, Yuba uh, uh, Center uh, Race Dialogue for further information. Also about the walk, give a brief thing about that and how you can contact Yuba City about that. Uh, the uh, equity team for school, uh, I really like that. I'm going to talk about that with my uh, principal and, and people here in my community. Um, the community walk. Um, I, I would like to see that done in some of the neighborhoods down in Monroe, where I live. And the book, uh, so you want to talk about it. Anyway, just post those things in the comment section. And before I go, guys, before I leave, I'm going to give you this link. If you got a minute, you can jot it down. HTTP. Uh, you know, the two oh. dots, then two forward slash T-O-B-T-R dot com slash S. And this program number is 119-05081. That's all you need you got to, uh, okay. Okay, go ahead, guys. We got and, 34 uh, minutes uh, of live streaming time. What, what I wanted to touch on too is is what you what you said about the uh the political system you know if we look at the history of both parties they actually used to be the same party the democratic uh republican party and the first democratic uh president uh was uh i believe uh um what is it uh jackson uh during the jacksonian era uh you know and i think that the politicians are a system of us. It's a system of our society. So if we have at the core of our society racism and injustice, that's going to get projected out into the politicians. Yes. Um, you exactly. know, Malcolm X, he always, he's all, he said, you know, the government has shown it's either unable or unwilling. You know, if we look at the media outlets that, that kept projecting the Black Lives Matter, they try to be, you know, the friend, so to speak. They like to protect project themselves as as the, the the voice in the storm but if you look recently at our recent news and you look at how the media is covering dr seuss for example um they give half the story why are they giving half the story they're saying they're saying you know this 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 that someone wants to take uh dr seuss from you but when you do research and you do a a, a google search on dr seuss and some of the stuff that he wrote before he did those children's books you will see some things that will make you pause and make you say, whoa, whoa, I didn't know that. But that's not being shown on the media. They give half the story to create uh, the gas on the fire, and their objective is, is to make money. And at the end of the day, it's we who turns on the channel. It's we who elect the politicians, and we have to take responsibility for what we are producing. If there is a bad politician, he needs to be taken out of out of uh, power, his, his power of uh, uh, position uh, that, that he's in. And um, I think what you're seeing too is the demographics of our country is changing. If the, Demo if the Republican Party does not adapt and does not change and continues to cling to this message of, of um, division, eventually they will lose complete power and may even need a third party to uh, take the place. And so what they're doing now to grasp uh, power is creating this division 
and this propaganda, oh, we're wanting to take the Dr. Zeus, oh, we're wanting to do this to make white people fearful. And when you become fearful, you go into a fight-and-fight response, and you respond in ignorance. And what we're hoping to do is create education so individuals within the local community can realize what really is going on, and they can mobilize to create change. And I don't care if he's Democrat, if he's Republican. If he is unjust and he wants to keep producing this condition, he needs to be removed from power, and we need to put someone in power that will make the changes that are needed. Dave, that is 100% correct. Yeah, That's 100% ahead. correct. And, you know, earlier, I think I misspoke. What I meant to say was you shouldn't have to be a Democrat to realize that people need help. And I think I said you shouldn't have to be a Republican. That's Corey, but right? I meant you shouldn't Corey. have to be a Democrat. Yes, this is Corey. Mm-hmm. And I think that and a lot of times when we look at politics and, you know, the world at large, we are conditioned to think that, you know, they want to help or that they have our interests. But that's not necessarily true because if you look at it, that's just not how things are running right now. I mean, we got a new president. That's great. But the things that he said that he was going to do are somewhat already falling through because there's only so much that we can get with the government, like how Freddie was saying that we got zero Republicans in on the vote. And I'm saying you shouldn't have to be a Democrat to, you know, see that people need help. I think politics have become too much about money and financial gain on the part of these senators and, you know, all this stuff instead of actually seeing that they're in an elected position to help the people. That's what they're supposed to do, and they're not going through with that. And if you look at the news, like how Dave was saying, I wrote an essay or I wrote a speech um, about how there's only a few companies in the United States that own all of these news outlets. There's like eight or something like that. And so, you know, we are conditioned by them to believe whatever they're saying, but a lot of the stuff that they're saying is made to get a rise out of us and to further divide us and to cause these issues. So to me, when I look at, you know, the things we're doing on a local level, like the walk is one, I think that's extremely important because, you know, if you're watching the news and let's say you watch Fox News and then there's somebody else that watches CNN, those are two very different perspectives on the world and on the same issues, but they're completely written differently. One, let's say Fox News is written in a way to make you think that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. And then CNN is talking about how uh, Black Lives Matter is, you know, the biggest thing since sliced bread. So they're completely different. But if you come to the Walkers One and you meet somebody who watches CNN and another who watches Fox News, you might come to the conclusion that we're both on a certain level being lied to or the news is being exaggerated to get us to react and we'll realize that we are actually closer in, you know, humanity and we share a lot more in common than we have different. And so I think that's why it's really important to have these book discussions and these walks and these conversations because a lot of the things that we see through the media is written in a way to get a certain reaction out of us, but a lot of times it's not true and it's not accurate. Like how is Black Lives Matter a hate group? We are trying to spread awareness for injustice and we are trying to, ultimately this movement is out of love. We are trying to get people to realize that we are being neglected and that we need support. And, you know, the media has twisted it as a way to benefit and profit off of, you know, clickbait. And it's, it's just messed up. So I think people need to pay attention and realize that what's on the news oftentimes is very skewed on both sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is one thing that I want you guys to watch, uh, and I have did it in the last probably about a week or two. I've counted the times that I've turned to Fox News, and they were on the 
had to shovel the barrel for them. Every time I turned, they were killing Cuomo on the issue about the nursing home and the supposed sexual abuse or whatever. I mean, um, that's something he was in. Elements of what you're talking about. Use your own mind. Well, um, he was once uh, uh, in competition with uh, President um, uh, Trump and the issues of COVID, but here lately, Fox is trying to bury him. But the thing about that is the way media works. It's like she was saying, you need to be wise and be aware. Know that I don't care what the media brings you. Overlay that with the power and the spirit of God's word. And the first thing that you do is to understand, even though you're listening to me right now, and we're listening to each other, but we are human beings. And guess what the Bible say about us? There is no good in us. We are tainted with the evil of Satan, the sin. So we have to temper ourselves to walk like we're supposed to walk. But otherwise, Satan will take you in the other direction. Take you to hell, sit you in, and go get the next person. So temper your understanding, your conversation, your walk, your talk with the words of Christ, how Jesus wants you to treat people right. When you overlay that with Christ, you will continue to, to stand about and continue to fight. I like what you just said, ma'am. That's absolutely correct. I didn't intend to silence her. <laughs> I know, right? I was looking at my group, and I'm like, okay, is someone going to speak? Because, you know, I talk a lot, so I'm trying not to talk as much. However, I do have a lot to say. It's okay. So with the thirteenth with the thirteenth workshop that we're putting on in the community, I'm gonna go back and touch on that because people are still invited. We invite people from all over the world and we have people from different parts of the country who have attended. I believe our maximum group Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe our maximum group was twenty four members. Twenty four, twenty five. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yes. Okay. And in the workshop, when we break it down, I'm going to break it down to you and the audience. When we break it down into the four sections, each section, each workshop that we have addresses a certain part, a particular issue within the movie. The first workshop, the first part series addressed the Reagan era and the war on drugs. The series that we're about to do on the third addresses the implicit biases that white women have against black men, internal fear that they don't recognize that comes out in the things that they do every day and it was set forth by the movie, okay, the name of the movie escapes me. Dave, do you remember the name of the movie? Or you I there? can't remember. Are you talking about the not the 13th movie, right? Yes. No, the other one. The one that Ooh, I can't remember that off the top of my head. For the fear that white women have against black men. It was shown in the White House when it first came out. It was called um, Cinematic. Oh, A Nation Reborn. Was it like A Nation Reborn? Something like that? Something it like was that. Yes, during sir. The, yeah, yeah. It's called The Birth of a Nation. A Birth there of a Nation. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Birth of a Nation. A Birth of a Nation set the foundation for this fear that is still instilled in not just white women, but in the community as a whole to where a black man speaks up or he says something and it is received as more aggressive, 
is received as more volatile and more threatening just because it's coming out of the mouth of a black man. And I find myself fighting against that on a daily basis and in adjusting and redirecting people when they say things in regards to black men because I have black black brothers and uncles and sons and grandsons and nephews. And that's the part that people don't recognize. For example, I was speaking with a young lady, and she's of mixed race. But when she prefaced herself to speak about a black man, she would use the word, the N-word. I don't know if I can say it on the show, so I'm going to say the N-word. She would use the reference, but she would say it with the A. However, because she used that word only when referencing dating a black man, it was derogatory. She didn't understand that. She didn't understand it until we had a conversation, and I called her white husband the N-word, and then quoted the definition out of the dictionary. She was stuck. Until we educate them on why these fears have no foundation, it will continue. And the, that is just one sector, of the, the white woman is just one sector of our population who have these embedded implicit biases towards our black men which in turn subjugates our black women who are already at the bottom. You know what? I remember in this part three that we were watching, uh, or did we do part three? Part two of 13th the other day. Um, when we were talking about, what was it? The part about sexual assault and rape and how the narrative has been spread that black men are rapists and that they're dangerous to white women and all this stuff. I had never thought about before the fact that white men have touched more black women than black men will ever be able to touch white women. And that part really stuck with me because it just shows the power of media and the power of movies and the power of, you know, influence. Like to me, it is crazy that this movie, the birth of a nation, if you haven't seen it or heard about it, I highly suggest Googling it gave way to so much hate that we still have so many preconceived notions, so many stereotypes. I mean, if you look at the movie, the KKK started burning crosses because it was a cinematic choice by the director of the movie. He included that. They weren't doing that until they saw the movie and thought it was a cool idea. And now we still see the KKK today doing that as a result of the movie. We still see how Nayadi was talking about how white women have this internalized fear of black men based on the stereotype of rape and that they're harmful and that they're dangerous because of movies like this and because of media persuasion it's literally because one or two people or whoever however many wrote this movie came up with this idea and spread that narrative like wildfire and in 2021 we are still dealing with the effects of this today it still holds down and oppresses our black men and our black community even people within the black community believe these things because of how widespread it is mm-hmm. Powerful ladies, powerful. I, I I like that comment that you said about in regards to um, black men attacking uh, white women. It's no way. Our white brothers have been abusing and using black women forever. I just use that term now, forever. Yes, it is a, it's a scary and it's a touchy issue. Yeah, it yeah. is a scary and touchy issue in our in our community. Part one, two, three, and four. 
that's 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 power. That's that's powerful dialogue to to, to attack and, and to bring down the wall of racism. Oh, that's good stuff. That's absolutely phenomenal. That's how you yes, get to our the heart of the matter. Our workshops yeah. are pretty intense. We don't hold punches, but we, everything is said in the direction of growth, in the direction of understanding, and in the direction of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I would it's like real. Okay. Go ahead, hon. I I I would like to um, on this broadcast do them four sections, do those four parts live. All I need is a um, um, open line uh, during the session, and um, we can record it just by listening to segments like we're 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 in a, all of us in different locations now, and and we can record what is being said in that session. Um, and uh, I think it'd be powerful um, information to continue to bring down the wall of racism. I think that would be wonderful. Of course, we're going to have a group discussion on it with race dialogues, but mm-hmm. I love right. that yeah. idea. That would be absolutely yeah. great. Because we want to touch as many people as whole, possible. Yeah, you can bring yes, the whole Joyce. world in. Uh, yes, this is Joyce Pope. And, Freddie, it would be really good to understand that the our process in the sequence of how we present the event is such that we allow for breakout rooms with the audience Mm -hmm. that have this discussion question, and in that Uh breakout room, they're in smaller groups, and they can discuss the discussion question amongst themselves and for about seven minutes, and then after that time period, they decide on which one present would share out to the larger group after they've had their discussion back. and come back to the larger group. Once that occurs <laughs> is where you find out what each room focused on and what they came up with in regard to understanding what they observed during the filming as well as solutions they may have come up with in a discussion group in regard to what the problem is with the the, the question that they had to discuss about. So uh, that process, it would be somewhat difficult to ascertain or capture those discussions since it's taken place in several groups simultaneously. I just wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that was great. Thank you, Joyce. Hey, guys, we're coming down to um, 16 minutes and uh, 33 seconds on live streaming time. And so um, we can begin uh, the closing of the uh, broadcast, uh, focusing on uh, some of the issues that we have been talking about. Um, I will mention a couple of them. One of them was the uh, uh, sixth sense of interpersonal skills of determining the uh, issue of racism without a word being spoken. You can feel it. You can touch it. You You just know it. And when the person mm-hmm. that is exhibiting that, they can't hide it, they can't cover it up, they can't, because the spirit reveals it to you and it just hits you dead in the face. That was one of the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was that um, the issue of uh, 
equity uh, team in, at a local school, something that you do um, uh, every month. Uh, you, you, what is up to the staff? Well, first your staff you got to agree that they agree that they want to do something like that, and then you bring it to your school or your community, uh, where people on the staff, uh, teachers or whatever, whoever can come in and talk about issues that they don't cover in the classroom or that they're afraid to deal with in the classroom. Um, Another one was a community walk uh, where uh, a team of uh, people would go through the community, uh, uh, not going to your regular community every day where you go every day, you know everybody, but into a new branch area, uh, community walk dealing with the issues of racism. Uh, and the, in the book, uh, so you want to talk about race, uh, uh, is the issue. Uh, you know, to get into that book of, that people should read. Um, I'm just capturing some of the things that, I, that stuck out to me during the, the course of this two hours. Um, one thing I do want you guys to do, make sure you go to the comment session and leave a, a quick biopsy of of those different things and, and how they continue. Don't, don't put down your personal number. Put down the number where they can call it Yuba uh, 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 City. Race dialogue. I might have missed some, but uh, you guys in the next uh, 14 minutes or so, recap some of the things that we really need to focus on. So for us, action. So I'll recap: standing up in your community, getting to know your neighbors, which was which is what the walk is one comes in at our community walk. Getting to know who lives in your community getting to know your police officers in your community, getting to know your nurses in your medical rooms in your community, know who's teaching your kids at school, know the curriculum of your school, know your rights and, and the rights that you, that you don't know. Go find them out because the future of your child and the future of our next generation depends on it. Pass the knowledge on that you get when you go on these community walks or, the, or when you network within the community. Um, holding it for yourself does no one any justice. You are the person standing next to you. Talking is great, but walking, which is what walk is one is also signifying, but walking is where it's at. You can talk a mile a minute, but until you step step and walk, what you're saying doesn't Action. hold any ground. That's right. All right. All right. They watch, they, they watch what you do, not what you say. That's right. That's right. No one, okay, so then we're going to go into the 13th workshop. The 13th workshop in its four-part series. We brought that into the school district, into Yuba College, with the intention of reaching the youth. As we discussed in race dialogue, we've lived this over and over again, and we're older. And our generation, for lack of a better word, dropped the, lack of a better phrase, dropped the ball. Well, we have this next generation that's standing up, and they're standing strong, and they're ready to fight. So it is our responsibility, it is my responsibility to give them the tools that they need. And Race Dialogue is doing that by bringing the 13th workshop to the college and to the community so that we can give the youth the information and knowledge to back up their claims, to back up their fight, to show them where to find the laws that they don't know exist, the events that they don't know happen. And that was our focus with the 13th workshop. And it just, it, it blossomed from there to the community, but our initial our initial focus 
was to let the youth who are standing up to fight know that they are not alone and to help them help us. I agree uh, with Nayati. I think I am a youth. I'm going to be 20 this year. I'm still in college. But, you know, if you think about this workshop and stuff, so many of the people that uh, are young, Gen Z or whatever we're called, that are trying to join these social movements, join them as a result of, you know, the George Floyd incident. But the reason that we're watching 13th and, you know, reading this book is because it's so much more than that, right? George Floyd was the... um, tip of the iceberg, right? But there's tons, years, years and decades and hundreds of years worth of uh, systemic racism that got us to this point. So I think our generation, you know, is coming along. We have that fight, but in order to be able to fight, we need to realize what we're fighting, right? We think it's just kind of an isolated incident or this police brutality is the only thing, but no, police brutality is the result of a system that is very intentional and that was started to oppress us. Right. So if you haven't seen 13th, it's available on Netflix, stream it on there if you have it, or it's on YouTube for free. I mean, it's a documentary by Ava DuVernay. She was very um, ambitious about getting this done and she was very successful with it. And it's a very good documentary. So she's put it out uh, for the public to see because she wants them to know. She wants them to have this knowledge. Knowledge is power, right? So if you haven't seen it, watch it on YouTube, watch it on Netflix. Uh, and become educated yourself, because I guarantee you, even if you lived through these movements, there's going to be things in there that you didn't even connect the dots on, or you didn't even hear because it wasn't presented truthfully back in the day. So, you know, it's very important. It's very educational. Yes, thank you, Joyce. Yes, hi. I just wanted to comment on our goals and objectives in regard to the book discussion group. So, Uh, around the book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Our goals and objectives are to promote a deeper understanding of the current anti-black racial situation in the United States. And number two, to promote a deeper investigation of what each of us can do about it. Number three, to explore together how to talk about race, both with those in our own race and those that are not, Uh, gradually overcoming discomfort because we're all going to feel that discomfort. Black folks don't walk around talking about race every day of their lives. And we do, though, want to participate in that dialogue. We realize that, oh, the the fourth um, goal is to practice together facilitation skills to continue this process with others. Um, So additionally, Our goals and objectives of sitting as a part of the closure uh, to this discussion, our race, Ubisoft Race Dialogue vision and mission statement, which started the program, is fitting for it to end it in regard to what those objectives and goals are, is to create a learning community that shares knowledge and skills around anti-racism work and other individuals and organizations with other individuals and organizations uh, to deepen understanding of the history of systemic racism and its effects on today's institution, culture, and beliefs. We work to understand the racist practices and white privilege that impede efforts towards racial justice. We work to improve our skills in countering racism and organizing for racial justice 
we learn best practices and sound theory uh, to overcome racism and share, sharing models and skills and tools, approaches, programs, and practice. And we also network in a way that strengthens and expands our outreach, influence, effectiveness in overcoming systemic racism. And we certainly appreciate networking with you, Mr. Freddie Howard. Awesome, awesome. Um, I want to say this in closing. Um, we're down to about seven minutes or so. Um, I've often watched as uh, people talking about somebody playing the race card or somebody uh, uh, hustling black issues such as uh, uh, Minister Jesse Jackson and other people like that. Those on the other side say those things to keep you quiet. Those on the other side say those things to prevent you from tearing the wall down. Those on the other side say those things like that to keep things static quo, just like it is. And they they, they always talk about, don't talk about racism. You talk about racism because it it is the foundation of who we are. This country is, 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 every nation on the earth, regardless of color, has had its foot on somebody's neck. But guess whose neck everybody's had their foot on? I don't have to say it. Something to think about. Yes, I agree. Very, very interesting. And I think, you know, when you think about who people saying don't play the race card, who invented the race card? Think about that. <laughs> who invented the race card? Why was it invented and who invented it? It was invented to be able to differentiate between us as groups of people and oppress others. So when we, the people who are oppressed, bring up race, the people who invented it, they don't pull the race card. Think about that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're down to 530, guys. Ms. Pope, you want to close this? David was one of y'all. Well, I, I, I'll, I just wanted to – I'll have transfer over to Ms. Pope to close, but uh, I just had a thought process that you, uh, that you came uh, – that you, you gave me in the show today when, when you started speaking about your experience at the post office. And I've noticed here locally and the work we're doing, and I also noticed uh, the Black Lives Matter chapter in Sacramento, and I, I haven't done enough research to know if this is – a broader uh, trend, but I've noticed that it's predominantly uh, been female that have been involved. And uh, maybe down the line, we might on a future show utilize your ability to get guest speakers um, to, to, to take a look awesome. at is the experience of uh, uh, the black woman or, uh, or a black woman or a black man with racism the same? Is it different? Are there differences? Is that part of a, a reason why that there might be less? Why might there be less? So I'm not saying I know because I'm in a state of ignorance, and we might be able to utilize your guest uh, speakers to explore this issue because this came up in our meeting. So I wanted to go ahead and maybe this could be a future show, but I wanted to turn it over to Miss Miss Pope. Yes, thank you, David. Thank you. And thank you, Freddie, for providing this opportunity for, opportunity for us to share this wonderful 
efforts from Yuga Sutter Race Dialogue. As you started the program with a prayer, I would like to close it from our point of view with a prayer, a short prayer for peace. Lord, I come before you ready to pour out my worries, anxieties, and fears at your feet. I am claiming and declaring your your promises for blessings of peace and strength over my life. Bring peace into my soul that passes all worldly understanding and make me a light for others to see your strength. Amen. Amen. Powerful, guys. I love it. I'm going to close it with the uh, video clip uh, that I opened up with uh, when we first came on the air. Um, David, you and I and uh, Ms. Pope, we'll, on y'all's schedule, we'll set another uh, date for a live radio call-in conference. And this time, see, can we begin to reach into David's sphere of uh, having a guest come on that uh, has uh, experienced racism uh, close up and personal, so to speak. I've had it close up and personal in my home, own home and community when it came to get me, asked and tell my mother to send me out with, with something they had accused me of doing. But uh, if there's nothing else, guys, I thank every single one of you. And please go by the uh, website link. Uh, I'll give it to you again. It's HTTP, yes, you know, slash, slash, T-O-B-T-R dot com, slash, small s, and this show number is 119-05081, and leave your comment. And uh, with that, guys, we're going to close it with uh, what we open up with, All right, what, we, what we close up with. Until next time, thank you all. I love every one of you. I love what you're doing. I love the battle, and this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to stop putting it off on somebody else, but the change that you see, that's you. You are the change. He gave you the tools, so use them. Thank you. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Everybody be safe. Wear a mask. (laughs) May you all continue to be prosperous. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's an association of black defenders. You would set a race dialogue. To one in favor of the resolution, which requires the county to eliminate any policies that harbor racial discrimination. And while protests and chants of Black Lives Matter may not be echoing nightly through the streets anymore, work is still being done to build better relationships between local law enforcement and the community. Some of that work is happening in Yuba County through a group called Race Dialogues. Their goal, to find solutions to race-based division through compassionate conversations. Black Lives Matter! The chants, marches, rallies, and sights of fist in the air are no longer visible on a daily basis here in Northern California. But calls for racial justice continue in the form of discussions. Race Dialogues. A group of eight different people with four common goals. Create a learning community, deepen understanding of systematic racism and its effect on today's institutions, culture, and beliefs, 
improve skills in countering racism and organizing for racial justice, and network in a way that strengthens and expands outreach, influence, and effectiveness in overcoming systematic racism. I spoke with four members, Joyce Pope, founder of the Tri-County African American Alliance, Yesenia Kachu, student support specialist at Marysville Joint Unified School District, Nayati Melissa Cleveland, community activist, and Susan Allen, teacher and author. The group says race dialogues is paramount for individuals to heal and move forward. This is the time. This is the moment. We are here now and we need to look this issue in the face and we need to have those dialogues and we need to grow from that experience because it, we all can agree that it is a really uncomfortable time. It is a real uncomfortable experience to reach out and have those kinds of communications. But we know as a group here that our community can do that. The emphasis that I want to bring out in this is building the bridges between communities, people, individuals. Um, we all have different backgrounds. We all work at different places and have lived in different areas. We have such an array of diverse backgrounds, even with me and Joyce having the same racial background on the outside, you know, we still have different upbringings, different experiences. So I think the race dialogue is not just good for cross races, but it's good for us in, inside our race too, to understand different points of view. My goal is to propagate an understanding of what's happening with systemic racism in our country. Taking a proactive approach, the group has already held successful roundtable discussions between local law enforcement and the community, helping bridge the gap. Cleveland says it's led to more positive engagement from police at community events. So we've had Juneteenth, things like that have been more publicized since then. The backpack giveaways that they've done for back to school, the police have helped the community in those giveaways more. So I do believe that it started bridging a gap. However, I believe that it only it was only a drop in the ocean. I believe that it knocked on the door, but unless we continue to do more of those, then it would have been for nothing. Race Dialogue says their discussions with police took place well before the death of George Floyd, who died while in custody of Minneapolis police. Floyd's death sparked months of unrest across the country and put a renewed spotlight on law enforcement's use of excessive force, violence, and racism. Since the incident, Race Dialogue says they've been working to schedule another discussion with their local law enforcement agencies. The hope is to come to an understanding so that what happened in Minnesota doesn't happen in their community. I expect more growth in the future because they were receptive to us before, and I expect the police department to continue to be receptive to our, our ideas because these are ideas that are supporting the community at large, and I believe the community would appreciate that as well. Members of Race Dialogues have been hard at work these last few months. They've successfully implemented a four-credit workshop on the film 13th at Yuba College. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. A galvanizing documentary which refers to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which permits slavery as a punishment for crime. We're going to discuss each part and how it pertains to today, how it pertains back then, and how it connects. They plan to offer additional panel discussions with Yuba Sutter community leaders and law enforcement. 
They're also holding book discussion groups to enlighten the public on systematic racism. The goal is to pass along valuable information that will be sustained in the community for years to come. Race Dialogues does realize not everyone is open, ready, and willing to learn. But for those who are, this is a new day. None of us have been here before. We've never had the courage to talk about race face-to-face with all the individuals that it affects. It is not the black person's responsibility to teach our white comrades in regard to race and the pain it has caused us as a group of people in this country. But in order to heal, in order to go forward, I think all the players in the community have a place. We all have a place today at the table. As for what a positive path forward looks like. Getting rid of implicit biases. Understanding that we are more alike than we are different. It looks like having a community where the police aren't policing the community, but one with the community that they're helping the kids cross the street and not chasing the kids across the street. We all know that can happen, but at least try. And we want to see that effort. And I I look forward to But first up, he is a Pulitzer Prize winning historian whose latest book is The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels, John Meacham. I just want to say, first of all, a lot of people know you from TV now, but you also write books, apparently. I do in my spare time. I see. I bet you a lot of people are not that sure about that, but I want to tell you, if you like John Beecham on TV, read his books. This guy is an amazing writer, and even if he was wrong about this stuff, it's a pleasure to read. And the book is called Soul of America. Right. My first question, do we still have one? We do. This really? Is important. We okay. do. Because, but the soul... In, Full disclosure is an idea that's not about what's just best about us. Socrates, all the way through the Hebrew and the Greek, always argued that the soul was the essence of life. It was breath. And so in the American soul, for instance, it's not just that, oh, Fourth of July, everything's great. The soul of the country has room for Dr. King, but it also has room for the Klan. And every era is determined by which of those two forces wins out. And see, here's the thing. The Klan didn't used to be this close to the White House. That's why I worry about your they did. optimism. No, it did. And I am optimistic. Well, not we're... in the modern era. Yes, Andrew Johnson certainly was a Klansman. Well, in 1925, you had 50,000 Klansmen marching down Pennsylvania Avenue without wearing their masks. You had but gov- Calvin Coolidge wasn't sympathetic to them. No, but uh, the Democratic National Convention in 1924 had 347 Klansmen who were delegates. Uh, you had an immense... Wow, is that right? Yeah, you had four million... I feel better. Okay, good. You had... You had four... You had, Tell me a other had, bad shit about America. Here it is, that, baby. Yeah. Now, I know you were on the air in 1866. Uh, so... Um, I think it was cable access then. Yes, that's okay. the Dumont uh, But you had a president who was against the 14th and 15th Amendments, uh, who, by the way, got impeached. 
Uh, so we can we can talk about that. Uh, in Andrew Johnson, you had in if we had been talking in 1919, 1920, you had Woodrow Wilson who resegregated the federal government, who cracked down on 400 newspapers who disagreed with him, and who launched his attorney, who launched his attorney general to for non probable cause raids all across America. But they were reflecting feelings in the country that were much more prevalent than they are today. I don't think to, about the Klan, about race. Well, the Klan was a, re, the, the second Klan in the 1920s was a reflection, see if this sounds somewhat familiar. They were worried about a changing economy. They were worried about the culture shifting on them. They were worried about demographic changes. They were worried about immigration. There was a governor of Georgia who was a member of the Klan who called for, guess what, building a wall of steel to keep immigrants out. So if you, want, if you think the 1920s is too far back to look at this, all right, let's go to the 1950s. For four years, Joe McCarthy terrorized America. He did so with the help, in many cases, of the press. The Hearst newspapers were kind of a Fox News of the era. In the 1920s, one out of every four Americans read the Hearst newspapers, <laughs> and Hearst supported McCarthy. It was a, there were very few voices against McCarthy early on. A woman, Margaret Chase Smith, who was the right. Republican senator from Maine, came out against him early. It took the men, as usual, four years to catch up. But what we ended up... Yeah, with, hey, hate men, hate <laughs> men. Men suck. Always an applause break in America. Men suck. <laughs> but, uh, and again, I, I'm not Mr. Rogers on C-SPAN here. I'm not <laughs> arguing that everything is always great. But the point is, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, in my native region of the South... We had apartheid. Women have not voted in this country for quite a century yet. Right. We are not yet at the third anniversary, it's coming up next month, of the marriage equality decision. American history, is, by fits and starts, has tended to get better. Why has it gotten better? Not just because of presidents, but not just because of the Congress, but because of protest and resistance and people saying the country we want is not the, a country that closes its fist, it's one that opens its arms. But here's the difference. Um, in, the, in the cases you cite, I mean, Joe McCarthy was censured by the Senate, right? Yeah, four years in. Okay, the Senate's not gonna censure Trump. They love Trump. I mean, the, the, what's frightening now to me is that the Republican Party has so quickly lined up behind this fascist, and they're in on it. And I think that's a fundamental difference. And I also think it's, it's, a, it's a flaw that the founders did not see. I, oh, I think the founders saw all this coming. You, saw, think, you think they saw Donald Trump coming? And how I, think they, I think they would have been stunned that it took this goddamn long for us to get one. The whole Constitution was And created. how do you think we're going to unget one? I think we're going <laughs> to... I think we're going to... My own sense, we're going to unget one by, I think, a pretty a wave election in the midterm. I think the courts and the rule of law is going to prevail. And I think the people themselves, and this is not a populist argument on the other side, but how did we break down Jim Crow? How did we break down uh, functional apartheid? People, how did women get the right to vote? They protested, they stood up, they had conversations like this, and ultimately those better angels did prevail. To the point where, what is the immigration issue in this country? The immigration issue is that people want to come here. So for all of the, the, having a mad king, which we do, who, as I've said to you before, if he knew who King Lear was, it would be like King Lear. For all 
of that, if you have enough of these forces, the people, the press, the Congress, which is, as you say, not in great shape right now, or the presidency, the courts, if you have enough of those forces working, then we will well, survive the crisis. Yeah, but I don't know if we do. I mean, we definitely don't have the Congress. Uh, you, would know, you talk about a wave election. Yes, we could impeach him. I think the Democrats will take the House. The, it's, don't, get it, don't get giddy. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> what I have to say is hubris, not for, hubris. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I have to be the skunk at the garden party here. No, but fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but, You've done well with that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody has to. Somebody has to. Yeah, because, here, because thank you. But this is a... But, but let, me, let, me, let me say the skunk point. Okay. Even if we win the wave election, that's, that's the House. They will impeach him. Then you need 67 senators to convict, or else he's there. Clinton was impeached. He stayed there. Now you have a wounded animal, but not that wounded, because he'll just say fake news. He's more of a martyr than ever. You know that his approval ratings went up this week. I do. The crazier he acts... I'm not worried about a mad king. We've had presidents who didn't know shit before. I'm worried about someone who wants to be a dictator. I mean, look at this. Read this statement. From, I'll read you this statement from this week. I'm the Justice Department. A rigged system. This is his own Justice Department. Right. Did, did any other president talk like this about their own Justice Department? Why such an unequal justice? At some point, I will have no choice but to use the powers granted to the presidency and get involved. Well, first of all, I don't think he doesn't know. He doesn't know what those are. No, he doesn't know. (laughs) He thinks he's a king. I mean, that's a direct threat. Is that? If he can get off Twitter and to Google, he might find it. (laughs) I wouldn't hold your breath for that. um, Is there a precedent for that, for a president warring on his own Justice Department the way he does, his own FBI, this deep state talk we hear about? Well, if you listen to the Nixon tapes, yeah. And Nixon was convinced but, that the press, it's, the press was against him, that the Justice Department sure. was against him. He had the Saturday night. A lot of similarities. Him. There are similarities. Except and, he went. But guess what? There's this fabled moment. Everybody talks about how Barry Goldwater went to the White House. Hugh Scott, I remember, yeah. You know what date that was? August 7th. Yeah, he quit the next day. 26 months into the Watergate scandal. Right. Barry Goldwater left public life with a, a very high profile. But it took but, 26 But again, John, what was the message that they were bringing to President Nixon? The message they were bringing was you have lost the support of the Republicans in Congress. Right. That is not a message anyone can deliver right now to this president. Not right now, but what do we know chiefly about politicians? That they want to be reelected, Right. That they are more, far more often mirrors well, than molders of public opinion. And that's what's so scary. That's why they won't turn on him, because the base loves him. And they know that, that he has a connection with their voters that they do not. That's true. But the, you have to change those hearts and minds in, uh, oh. among the people. But you really do. Guess what Joe McCarthy's approval rating was after the have you no decency, sir? I don't know. 34%. You can get 34% of the country to say damn near anything. Right. This is a battle about the 20% who either aren't paying enough attention, who are beginning to be worried about the fact that Rudy Giuliani, after a pretty clearly liquid dinner the other night, um, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I mean, something. Anthony Trollope yeah. used to say that he dined freely. Um, that, was, that was the Victorian code yeah. for that. Uh, 
you have to get to the 20% who are accessible by, and my whole argument in this, again, is not that everything is going to be a fairy tale. It never is. There was never a once upon a time, and there's never, never a happily ever after. But you can get, because you did it with women's suffrage, you did it with civil rights, we did it ultimately with the union of the country, we've done it with Those marriage equality. Issues, not not this. I don't see him leaving under any condition, including people knocking on the door with guns. But he'd be Scarface. He'd be watching on the security camera. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. I, I, okay. I badgered you. I, don't you think he sent Jared out? Yeah. <laughs> Jared. All right. It's a great book. Thank you for trying to cheer me up. No, I, um, I, uh, everybody should read it and feel better. All right. Welcome uh, to House of and Gospel Blog Talk Radio. We are taking a look at the soul of America through its history and its ups and downs over the years, the state of mind that we are in now under the presidential uh, directions of uh, President Donald Trump and the powerful sway of Republican um, social media uh, populist ideas of um, not to seem to be loving, and um, as they say, they are getting their chance to run the country. And it has had that on the many administrations, the Klan and all the other elements of integration, segregation, um, uh, McCarthyism, all of the elements that have tagged this country in the past. But one thing, as you listen to this program today, uh, we will be sharing gospel music with you later uh, of the words that are being said. Think about who is in charge. Not Bill Myers, not John Meacham, not President Donald Trump, not past President Barack Obama, not the Democratic Party, not the Republicans, not anybody that walks on the face of the earth is in charge of what's taking place here in America. Satan is doing it through the eyes and hearts of men um, because God is allowing them to do so. Stay focused. Stay with your first love, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Evil is an element of creation. Evil is an element of God's hand allowing man to do whatever he wants to. Eve is an element of the creation of God's best creation, the human being, and giving him the ability to choose. The ability to choose right or the ability to choose wrong. This is where we are in America today. So stay focused and do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is still and control. And finally, new rules. Someone has to tell me what's magic about a capital R, the kind that goes after your name if you're a Republican. Because if you have one of those, you can get away with pretty much anything when it comes to selling out, cursing out, or compromising your own country. You know... When it... When it was Hillary Clinton with an unsecure email server, Republicans wanted to lock her up. But President Trump still uses the unsecure Android phone he had before he got elected. And he has been warned 
that with an old consumer-grade phone like that, someone could easily hack into his Twitter account and start posting crazy messages. And how would we be able to tell? <laughs> So a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, Bill O'Reilly asked Trump why he always defended Putin, who O'Reilly said was a killer. A reasonable question, since the last two guys who were as cozy as Putin and Trump held their bilateral talks on Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> But again, Trump took Putin's side over America, saying, we got killers here too. You think, you think our country's so innocent? If a Democrat said that before the Super Bowl, they would be in Guantanamo Bay by halftime. <laughs> Same as they would if they did this. But if you have the magic R, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Trump repeatedly said he was going to donate to military charities, then didn't, then lied about it. He compared our intelligence agencies to Nazis. Mm. He said McCain, who spent five years in a Vietnamese prison, wasn't a war hero because I like people who weren't captured. I gotta say to all you flag-waving right-wingers who always say, I'm not just gonna stand here and let you run down America. You're standing there and letting Trump run down America. <laughs> Donald Trump could go to the tomb of the unknown soldier and say, well, maybe if he'd done something, he wouldn't be so unknown. <laughs> and Republicans would be okay with that, too. When Trump said, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose voters, he wasn't making a joke. He's never made a joke. Unless his entire life is some sort of Andy Kaufman-style performance art, <laughs> in which case, stop it. No, he was simply stating an actual fact for once, which is, if you have the magic R <laughs> after your name, you can drive a Hummer through a daycare center, <laughs> and Fox News will say the babies were asking for it. Meanwhile, in the alternative universe where a Democrat is president, Obama once said, we have not been perfect. And for eight years, Republicans screamed that he was on a nonstop apology tour. They lost their shit whenever there was a picture of him committing high crimes like not having his hand over his heart during a song or saluting with coffee in his hand, even though this guy did it with a dog. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, the one who sat frozen for seven minutes after being told the words, the country is under attack. And Republicans defended that. And we all just accept this. America is the Republican Party's bitch, and they can criticize and betray her, but you can't. Even though Obama spent two terms talking up the troops, talking up the country, how much he loved it, how in no other country is my story even possible, Hmm. Didn't matter. Conservatives all nodded. 
when Rudy Giuliani said, I do not believe that President Obama loves America, as opposed to Giuliani, who happened to be mayor on 9-11. So that made him America's mayor, a hero whose great act of heroism was nothing fell on his head. To paraphrase Donald Trump, I like mayors who don't let towers collapse. A few weeks ago, an old but very smoking gun emerged from the Nixon era when it came out that in 1968, when President Lyndon Johnson was trying to end the war in Vietnam, candidate Richard Nixon was actively, purposefully undermining the peace talks because he wanted the war to go on so he could have it as an election issue. You would think that the America First crowd would find that a bridge too far. Fuck no. <laughs> Dick Cheney once outed a CIA agent just to say fuck you to her husband. Mm -hmm. Reagan sold weapons to Iran, the country they all want to bomb now, in brazen defiance of American law. And instead of being impeached, he was elevated to sainthood and now rides horses in heaven with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Why do Republicans get away with this? Why do they have patriotic immunity? America is like a dysfunctional family where the Democrats are the older, mature son who works hard and does everything right, but somehow is never good enough. And the Republicans are the young asshole son who's a fuck up, but no matter how many times he crashes the Camaro, daddy buys him a new one. <laughs> I know it's not really important, like which department stores are selling Ivanka's panty liners, but, you know, <laughs> all of America's intelligence agencies say a foreign power tampered with our election to favor the Republican, and they say also that they don't trust that Republican, our president, with our state secrets, and yet the theme of Trump's inaugural was America first. Please. His ego is first. His hotels are second. Russia's third. I'd be surprised if America made the top ten. But first up, he is a Pulitzer Prize winning historian whose latest book is The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels. John Meacham. I just want to say, first of all, a lot of people know you from TV now, but you also write books, apparently. I do in my spare time. I see. I bet you a lot of people are not that sure about that, but I want to tell you, if you like John Beecham on TV, read his books. This guy is an amazing writer, and even if he was wrong about Freddie Howard, 
Coming to you from 231 6th Avenue, down south here in the big city of Piazza, Alabama, on a Sunday morning. No turning back. How you doing this morning? The birthing of a new community. What about your community? Romans 8, 1 through 11. Background study for this morning. Background scripture comes from Galatians 4. The print passage is going to be coming out of Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Now after this ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements of whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Are you in bondage to sin, the old way of life? No turning back. People are tempted to sacrifice freedom in order to gain a sense of security. More, very much timely for today. What are the dangers of trade-off? Paul rebukes the Galatians for trading the freedom that Christ gives for slavery to religious legalism. When have you ever had to use harsh, strong words to bring a Christian back in line? What was the results? What are some of the rituals and routines that can cause people to force focus on trivial matters in life and miss out on the weathers of matters, what really matters, love and concern for each other? Why do religious rules and traditions serve as a source of comfort for some believers? Do you need to be focused on Jesus Christ in your church, in your walk with Christ? Again, welcome to House of Black and Gospel. It is no turning back. This Sunday morning, stay with Jesus Christ. Return to your first love. Do not be misled by what's taking on in place in the world today, especially here in this country we call the U.S. of A. God is still on the throne, regardless to who is its president. Again, welcome to House of Black and Gospel, Rock Talk Radio. Sunday morning. Halsey's Morning Show. services 
Pastor Wade and Olive is our pastor, and uh, we will be um, focusing on the, our Black History program. There's a portion that I have to play, and I will be talking about. Um, there's a this myth in the Black community that. Uh, um, Christianity and Jesus and all this stuff is some kind of somehow European uh, white American God that has shackled us, the black race of people, the black human beings on this earth into some manner. But I'm here to bust your bubble this morning. Um, you remember um, Philip and the Ethiopians official? that was riding along, had been to Jerusalem to worship the Ethiopian that was the caretaker of the Queen of Sheba's wealth. He was returning from the temple worshiping and studying Isaiah, God's word. And Philip, God sent him, sent Philip to the Ethiopians as he was riding in his chariot and studying God's word. Therefore, when the Christianity began in Africa, the Ethiopian Episcopal Church is at the center of that and is still live and viable today. You need to understand that God's word is a powerful word and African Americans know that God was with you too and is still with you from the beginning when he sent the word to you through an Ethiopian Enoch, a black man, wealthy indeed with responsibilities. Do not be deceived by what you're hearing and the myth that has been told to you. Choose freedom. Choose freedom in Christ. Be led by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ brings life. All truth is being led by the Holy Spirit. It will lead you into the Holy Spirit. The cost of being a disciple what does it cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Some may cost them their life. Some may cost them their life. What will it cost you? The power and strength through weakness. You have power and strength through weakness. Do not be deceived by that. When you are at your weakest point, God Almighty, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit is at its strongest. That's in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. A faithful heir will succeed. A faithful heir will succeed. Who is the heir? You are an heir. You are an heir through Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Savior who came through 42 generations over 2,000 years ago and sits at the right hand of the Father waiting to hear you say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again, lead us not into temptation. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Um, we're going to um, look at the word today as it comes from uh, um, Galatians 4, 8 and verse 20. Today is uh, February the uh, 
February the 12th, New Birth Brings Freedom. New Birth Brings Freedom. Now, after that, you have known God, or rather, have known of God. How turn you again to the weak, begging the elements, wherefore you desire again to be bonded? Galatians. What is bondage? What is bondage? You can be in bondage through debt. You can be bondage through sins of the evils of this world. You can be in bondage to money, your car, your home, your job. Whatever it is, it takes you away from Jesus Christ, God Almighty. A country is ruled oppressively. One day, its people rise up and overthrow the oppressors to mark a new beginning of freedom. They give their country a new name, perhaps beginning with something like Democratic Republic. But in time, oppression returns. The country's people are as bad off as they were before. If not worse, the country's new name endures, but only as a mockery of lost ideas. This tragic story has repeated itself too often. The rise and fall of countries. You walk away from God, God walks away from you. You walk away from God, God walks away from you. We're talking about the greater tragedy of loss of freedom. It is the counter-believers who gave up and were on the verge of giving up their freedom in Christ to return to the bondage they knew before receiving the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. What are Judaizers? In the term I'm most often used to designate Paul's opponents in this regard, a Judaizer was someone who adhered to the Jewish ways of life and intended to wire Gentiles to adopt it as well. Judaizers thought it was reasonable that bondage of the Christ church would be the defined by the rites of circumcision as given to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 17, 9 through 14. There is something about us as a people that when we are in charge, we want people to do what we say do and how we say do it and set the standards that we want them set for these people that we want them to be a part of what we want them to be a part of. In other words, we set standards not even ourselves are able to reach. That's what the Jewish people were doing when they were coming to the Gentiles and being a part of Christ's body. Some some uh, of the Judaizers were creating problems in Galatia where members of the church in Jerusalem being of the acts of the Pharisees was believed, Acts 15 and 5. Having, gave, having gone on a misguided mission to the Gentiles, in Antioch in Syria and Caesarea, where the troubles the believers by teaching you must circumcise and keep the law. They are conjuring to have done the same in Galilee. Also were the consideration in the era growing in Jewish nationalism, which Paul uh, ministered. There was a time when they may have been controversial for Jews to associate with non-Jews. What is taking place in this country when it comes to we associating with each other. There has been an all-powerful outcry during the last administration that President Barack Obama was dividing the country. 
I dare say to you that we divide our own selves by our beliefs and what we choose to believe. We choose to believe what's in the media. We choose to believe whatever we hear. But what is it that causes us to divide ourselves from each other? And I surmise to you that it's sin. Sin, the deceiver, liar, Satan, is behind all of it. This present day in the United States, some are saying this about President Donald Trump. Some are saying this and some are saying that. But one thing I do need you to know, and that is this, and do not be shocked, that all powers is instituted and ordained by God. God raises leaders up and he sets them down. He has raised up President Donald Trump for the year 2017, this January the 12th, 2017. February the 12th, I'm sorry, February the 12th, 2017. In any case, those who insisted on circumcision, we're talking about the Jews and they're saying that the Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. That is not true. That is not true. God is the answer. You have faith in Jesus Christ. That is all required of you to believe in Jesus Christ. Just like the Jewish people were doing back then, putting a standard on the Gentiles in which they themselves could not even uphold. And that is saying that the only way a Gentile could be a, a Christian is that they have to be circumcised. No, you do not. You have to be circumcised in your heart. You have to believe that Jesus Christ, your faith, is Jesus Christ, and he came and he saved you, to save you. That's what you have to believe. This challenge is discerned from the lengthy defense Paul makes of his apostleship in Galatians 1, 2, and 10. Paul referred to his opponents as those who would pervert the gospel. Who is perverting the gospel today in your life here in this country we call America? What are you being misled by? Are you being misled by the words of President Donald Trump? Are you being misled by the right or the left? Are you being misled by who? Who are you being misled by? You're being misled by the deceiver, Satan, through wickedness in high places. That's how you're being deceived and misled. And for one thing, you're taking the wrong focus. In regards to what's taking place now, you need to focus your attention on Jesus Christ, God Almighty, his holy word. That's where you need to focus. Paul offered a reminder to the Galatian Christians and known Jewish background that their previous lives really were. They have done service unto them which by nature are of no gods. Indicate that those believers had followers of the gracious Roman religion, such as the typical wood, worship various fictitious gods, idols that believed to hold power over aspects of the world. No one loves these gods, but many people fear them, believing they can cause problems for those those who displease them. There is only one God, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity and unity of God. God came to this earth. The Word became flesh through Jesus Christ, God's Son. That is the only God. We can make all kinds of gods 
that we worship and behold to and take us our stripes. Like car, home, other people, wealth, businesses, whatever you choose to make a God and focus all your tankets in on is a false God. Stay focused on who is. Worship God the creator, not the things that he created. The worship aim is to appear through these gods with regular offerings. Oh, man, your car. Getting up on Sunday morning, washing your car, and making sure it's shiny and looking pretty, and don't even go to Sunday school. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't do the time with your family. You can make things your God, your job. You can get up and go to that job every day. Guess what? God could take that job away from you. God could take that money away from you. What are you using as a God? Which functions more bribes than acts of here felt worship? This went hand in hand with being ignorant of the true God. How ignorant are you, the true God? Do you realize that you're breathing right now through the grace and mercy of God? You got up this morning. You had breakfast, whatever you did. If you didn't have breakfast, God made all possible. God made it all possible. It was a state of enslavement to falsehood. This was the life Gentiles left behind when they believed in the gospel. We as a people, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, those are the only two types of people on the earth. Did you hear what I said? There's only two types of people on the earth. There's the Jewish people, there's the Gentiles. Willing slavery. But now, after you have known God, or rather, are known of God, how turn you again to the weak, beggarly elements, wherefore you desire again to be in bondage? Do you remember when you was in bondage? Do you remember coming out of Africa, being sold and beat over the head and and induced to be on slave ships as one of your brothers and sisters enslaved you and captured you and got you ready to be passed on to another man's hand to be brought to this country called America? Do you want to return to the bondage of slavery when you did get to America after many and thousands of you died on the way over here in slave ships as they threw your bodies over, over into the water and oceans that fed fish throughout the nations and all over the world as your bodies screwed from seashore to seashore across the Atlantic and other oceans in this world? The bondage of where you come from before. You were once kings and queens and kings of Sheba, and so on and so forth. You once were powerful, but in that right also, you went a screw of what God wanted you to do. You went a ride to what God wanted you to be. When you have something and you do wrong with it, God will take it away from you and give it to somebody who would do right. Black America, African people of dark-colored skin, God has raised you up to a stature in which you once were before. But now you are turning astray. You were went astray in the past. God made you turn another way. God is awfully real. Black man. This is not no white man's God. God, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is your God as well. All you have to believe. Return to your first love. 
The life of ignorant bondage is now past. Galatians, who had worshipped false gods, now know that the one true God, through good news of Jesus, but even before the knowing of the true God, being known of God, those formerly alienated from him, now being in truth to God, people, strengthened. First Corinthians 8 and 3. Circumcise the heart, believe in Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Creator. To add circumcision to the God's gospel would be a return to the past, turn again. To add circumcision. That's an outward act that you can be bondage to. What are you adding to your life that is an outward bondage in your life today? Is it your hatred for your white brother? Is it your hatred for Mexican, Puerto Ricans, people of another nationality? That's a bondage for you. That would cause you trouble in the later life. God has no respect of person, you know. Circumcision is an outside process which is what you go through as a ritual. It can capture you and hold you in bondage to what your life is to be in Christ. If you just focus on that. Oh, I must be circumcised. I must be circumcised. I must be circumcised. You need to be circumcised in your heart. Believe Jesus Christ. God Almighty is your Savior. Oh, man. To add circus system to the gospel would be to return to the past, turn you again. But how then that be true that the past for the Gentile Christian was not bondage to requirements of the law of Moses, but to pagan gods? Here we must understand that Paul means the weak and beggarly elements. Behind the translation beggarly elements here, are the elements of Galatians 4 and 3. Last week's lesson, the name of the Greek word, we we noted in Lesson 10 that the word elements in this context means something that is based on elementary, such as learning one's ABCs. The something brings a person from an immature state to an intended, fully mature state. But for the Gentiles, Paul sees again worship as another kind of basic element in its falsehood. Such worship leads the person anxious and hungry for the truth. So ironically, even though both the law of Moses and idolatrous practice belong to the same category of things followed in the past, but none set aside by the good news of Jesus. So for Gentiles, Christians, to add circumcision to their faith in Christ is to return to another version of the past that must be left behind for both Jews and Gentiles. The past is not one of freedom, blessing but of slavery and curse, Galatians 3 and 10. For emphasis, Paul used two words in the original language to signify again the last of verse the last of verse seven, the last lines of verse nine, rather. What weak things tempt Christians to return past sin? How do you resist these personally? What weak things tempt Christians to return to past sin? How do you resist these personally. That is a battle that I battle every day. Every day. Regarding issues of thoughts and attitudes, regarding issues of acceptable behavior, regarding manner of speech. How many of you are so foul mouthed that you cannot be around other people speaking such vile things? Regarding issues of acceptable behavior. What is acceptable behavior? Is it acceptable in your circle? That a man go with a man and a woman go with a man. 
that a man would lie down with a man and a woman lie down with a woman? Is it acceptable behavior in your face that you steal and that you kill and you maim for what you want? Is it acceptable behavior for you to go on your job and steal? Is it acceptable behavior for you to steal from others? Is it acceptable behavior for you to condemn and talk about people as if they're dogs or some other creature undeserving of God, unbeworthing of God's love and care? Is it acceptable behavior that you do that? Regarding issues and thoughts and attitude, what about your thoughts and attitude? What is your attitude toward the poor? What is your attitude toward the wealthy? What is your attitude toward anybody that's in need of help? What is your attitude? Remember the back to Egypt syndrome? Do you remember when the children of Israel were coming out of uh, uh, um, Pharaoh's control? And as they were languishing in the desert due to their sins and things, just talking about going back and eating watermelons and doing things like that and eating it. The, the dew that is grown in the crops in the fields instead of looking forward to going to the new promised land. Many farmer um, Soviet Union began to collapse. Do you know that I'm going to a different subject and the folks don't want you to understand. You remember how strong and often the Soviet Union was in the past. There are some people want to go back to that instead of going forward. How about you in your walk with Christ? Do you want to go forward? Do you want to go forward? You want to, the work that you have done in your walk with Christ and how you have come to change and to know Jesus Christ, do you want that to be wasted? You waste it if you return to your old self, your own way of living, your old way of style. If you return to your old style and way of life in which you live, you're wasting your walk and your knowledge in Jesus Christ, God Almighty, your creator. You're wasting it. You observe days and months and times and years where circumstances come through the obligation to keep other elements of the law of Moses. You want to go back to the old ways. The old ways are gone. It's a guide. But it's not a way to live. The new way is in Christ Jesus and faith. Prayer, treating each other with love and dignity and respect. Prayer, prayer, calling on Jesus Christ, God Almighty, your creator. Knowing God, knowing God, and walking with God. What are some of the telltale signs that you'll be going to fall back into your old way of living? What are some of the telltale signs in your church that you want to go back to the old way of doing things in church when you go just go through the ritual with no emotion and no feeling. Do you know that when you take communion there's a special state of mind that you should be in and how you should live and you shouldn't take that if you have afraid from that and the way how God wants you to live? Do you take things that God has placed in your life to do for granted and forget about the purpose of it? Such as baptism, such as communion, God is often, he said, do this and remember me. Remember they broke bread with his four disciples before he was crucified. God is awfully good. I'm afraid of you, least I have bestowed upon you to labor in vain. Paul knows deeply the Galatian Christians' action in the matter of affecting them. The Galatians are his work in the gospel. Their faith is Christ, is the fruit of his ministry as a missionary. 
He's voting his life to sharing the good news with them and others. Paul Arnius, being already placed faith in Christ, makes the wrong choice now that they will render Paul's works to be, on no, be of no consequences in vain. It will be as if we had never preached the stakes of indeed high in the choice of the Galatians must make. We are speaking of the Galatians, but we are still a thing in your life too. The things of God, God's word, teaching God's way of living, loving and caring for each other. Those things still stand today in spite of what's taking place. Still give like you know you should give. Don't hold the money that which God has blessed you with but you can bless others. Do what God has asked you to do. His word will forever stand. It's always true. It's always upright. We thank you for being with us here this morning as we go into prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. We thank you, Jesus, for this morning as we study and lead to learn and walk in our word. Continue to lead and walk in our word in spite of my own iniquity and my shortcoming. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for all that thou has allowed us to do in this life and in this walk, the falling down and the getting back up. We thank you, Jesus, for the trials and tribulations that I go through as we all toil to live in an upright manner in the walk as Christ would have us to walk. Satan, the deceiver, is a lie. Lead us astray through our own devices of money, car, wealth, sex, whatever the things are. Satan deceives us through our own devices. And I thank you, Jesus, for understanding and realizing that through those devices which leads to death, sin, there's no way to go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We pray for this nation. We pray for the leaders of this nation. We pray for all that's in the cabinets and members of this Congress and the legislature and those who toil in the state of Alabama and other nations throughout the world to live in an upright manner. We thank you, Jesus, for the churches that are open in your name. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. These are many blessings we ask in our son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. As we get ready to go to uh, our closing song, we want to thank God. We're blessed with uh, the song by Shirley Caesar. It says it's okay. It's all right. It is okay. It is definitely all right to have God in your life. Don't revert back to your old ways. Continue to walk to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Again, thank you for listening, and good morning from House of Black Gospel, the morning show. Sunday, no turning back. No turning back. Stay with God. He is the way, the truth, and the light. God is the way for you to travel. No turning back.